Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where we bleed our own blood. I'm your host, the borderline psychotic Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons who is here with me today. Henry Gilbert, still waiting on my copy of Soldier of Fortune for this month. <laughs> and who is our special guest? Hi, this is Chris Cabin and I promise you victory and good times. Excellent, and today's episode is Bart the General. You've got to tell Principal Skinner, Bart. I can't squeal. It would violate the code of the schoolyard. Today's episode aired on February 4th, 1990. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh boy, Bobby. The NFC beats the AFC in the Pro Bowl. Paula Abdul's Opposites Attract is number one on the Billboard music charts. And... In a piece of news I just learned today, Billy Idol has a terrible motorcycle accident that breaks his leg, preventing him from playing T-1000 in Terminator 2. Oh my god, I didn't oh know this. God. Did you know Did you know this, Chris? I had no idea. And we just did a Terminator 2 episodes. I had no idea. Yeah, it's uh, it was crazy to read. I It was one of those things where you see it on Wikipedia, and I was looking like, what happened in music on February this uh, of 1990? And it lists like February 6th, Billy Idol breaks leg in motorcycle accident, gets recast in Terminator. I'm like, no, that has to be one of these Wikipedia fake things. Can't be real. And I Google it and like Robert Pattison, pa- uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick, Patrick, yeah. Patrick, Patrick. Yeah. he is gave an interview a couple of years ago of just like, yeah, Billy Idol broke his leg and they recast me late. Like or the original Stan Winston props were Billy Idol's face is T-1000, really? not me. I didn't, I, sh- I feel like I should know this trivia. Wow. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, now I can't stop it think about Terminator 2 as like a rock musical (laughs) like Walter Hill Streets of Fire kind of stuff I'm just hearing Cradle of Love as a Terminator walks towards me to kill me very slowly. <laughs> uh, in Opposites Attract, I think, was the, it activated so many furries. It was mm. part of the late 80s furry activation with Rescue Rangers and The Last Unicorn. And mm. now we're living in the era of cats. And uh, not to be a little stinker, but I'm kind of sick of hearing about cats. Uh. <laughs> I only... agree, actually. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I, people can have their fun. You can enjoy what you want to enjoy. As you guys say on your podcast, it's okay to like a movie. But I feel like I grew up in the, with like 20 years of people making fun of cats so to see people discovering it for the first time is just like infuriating me like we we knew it was crazy we knew it was crazy and stupid for a long time but it's I guess, okay to like a feline yes exactly uh. but i guess that people are allowed to be younger than us it's legal yeah. no uh i mean in the, in the cats discourse i uh, i am one of those people who just like i saw cats in the 90s when it was a decade old as a child <laughs> and and then i was like yeah this is crazy but you know when a film comes out it, it activates 
alienates a lot of people in the it's cats true. that didn't know about it. I, I don't want to make new cats fans feel unwelcome, but there is a part of me that is the gatekeeper mentality of like, yeah, where were you for the last 40 years of cats? It is just funny to see how people are constantly discovering these weird things. Like I remember, uh, this is Simpsons related, but 30 years ago, there was an episode of Get a Life called Zoo Animals on Wheels, which was a cats parody. <laughs> it was right. about the main character being in a cats parody. <laughs> uh, Bart and Millhouse see cats when they're yeah. on their squishy bender. I, yeah. I put that as a gif on Twitter and said Simpsons predicted cats. <laughs> Just like 9-11 and iPhones. Uh, I have the uh, uh, my cat story is that I went to see it as a young boy and uh, I was in line to get an autograph uh, from, I think, Rum Tum Tigger. I can't say for sure on that one. I was about to get my autograph signed and he was like, oh, gotta go back on stage. I didn't know they were <laughs> signing autographs. Yeah, they did that for a while, I think, where like kids would come up in the like, intermission or right after the show and just line up for autographs. That's cool. I think, I, uh, <laughs> wasn't that the character like Llewellyn Sinclair played? Like, and I played mm-hmm. Rum Tum Tugger in, in the Touring Company of Cats. Anybody see it? Yeah. <laughs> and as we all know, Rum Tum Tugger is a curious cat. Is, is, McCl- is McClunky one of the cats, or did I just mix up my references? Uh, no, that, that's what uh, that's a Star Wars. Thing. You're thinking of McCavity. Oh, yeah. McCavity. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. Okay, the railway cats. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about sports. Nope, no 90s Pro Bowl <laughs> talk here. But uh, we are going to talk about Chris Cabin. Thanks for being Woo! on the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me again, guys. Yes, we love We Hate Movies. It's a great podcast. You guys are coming off an amazing month. The, uh, the worst of 2019, I believe. Oh, God, yeah. That was rough. <laughs> and uh, I also really loved your your We Love movies that was on your Patreon this month of the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was, that was a really good one that was also like fair to criticisms people had of it while still, you know, celebrating what you guys enjoyed of, of the film. Oh, yeah. I, I, I liked it was for me, it was a lot like the movie itself where like we were just kind of hanging out and talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, we didn't have a process of where we wanted to hit necessarily. But yeah. You're everybody's right to have their criticisms of that movie, I'll say. <laughs> Were you guys hanging out shirtless like Brad Pitt does through the movie? <laughs> Look, I tried, and the other guys just weren't into it. <laughs> what I, a I bummer. really wanted to. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've had my uh, fair share of like man crushes, but I never found Brad Pitt like, you know, particularly attractive in something. Not like, obviously, he's always looked. Always looks gorgeous and stuff. But when I saw him in the movie, like, take his shirt off and start, like, fixing an antenna, I was like, wow, he is handsome. Oh, my God. He's a real like, silver fox, yeah. minus oh, the yeah. silver. 56, this guy is. Uh, but, yeah, no, thanks for coming out, Chris. And uh, also, like, you, I think we talked about your Simpsons fandom in the last time you were on here. But uh, just for season one, were you there uh, from the very beginning? Were you watching these episodes when they, when they first aired? Uh, my uncle was a crazy taper uh, he would just record if he liked a show he would just start recording it as soon as he knew he liked it i wasn't there from the beginning but i think i started watching the tapes right at the end of the first season enough that i saw like the last episode of the first season okay so they're pretty on board with it i mean that's yeah. that's helpful it's always helpful to have a crazy uncle who's like the nerdy person oh, yeah you think mine got yeah. me into all kinds of weird nerdy stuff <laughs> and, and you try to be that good uncle to to your uh, the next generation i'm like yeah. my uncle but with all without all the uh, you know crazy right-wing propaganda <laughs> and uh, rush limbaugh tapes sounds like your uncle was herman <laughs> uh, a bit a bit actually very close no yeah, military rather than record do the tapes i'm gonna start like 
teaching kids how to torrent. <laughs> oh, they need and to that's, learn. That's where you find it. Kids are only going to learn that way. So we need to begin with a writer's corner on John Swartzwelder. This mm-hmm. is his first script. Now, we've talked a lot about him. If you add up all of the like John Swartzwelder history clips on our podcast, you'll get like an hour and 45 minutes because mm. there's so many stories about him on the uh, commentary. So many great stories about him. But uh, his origins are this. He was basically working in a Chicago ad agency in the mid 80s and submitting jokes to David Letterman via postcard, but with no <laughs> attribution, just like writing in jokes, wow. I guess for free. Yeah. I, they, they pay you for a joke when they do it. There are a lot of writers who did that. Like, But that, if, if your name isn't on it, how are they going to send oh, you a check? Well, I guess that's true. Yeah. Maybe they send a check to the return uh, note there. Could be, like paid out to cash, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. But uh, so Jim Downey of SNL uh, was also reading these jokes as they were coming in, and he traced the location of the postcard based on the postmark, got in touch with Schwarzwelder's mom, and then scheduled an interview <laughs> for Schwarzwelder to come in for SNL to interview. I didn't know the mom part of that. I I didn't know it either, but uh, so yeah, uh, this is when Letterman was still at NBC, of course. So they're like, who's writing these awesome jokes that are coming in? Mm -hmm. And they find him. They bring him in for an interview. Here's what happened. And this is all from uh, the Wikipedia entry, which is, I'm just hearing this story now and I thought I knew everything. So Downey described Swartzwelder's interview as, quote, one of the most spectacularly awful in history as it consisted of him entering David Letterman's office without permission and discussing the state of television that it was all shit while smoking (laughs) and drinking. (laughs) While smoking and drinking, he was not hired for Letterman, but Downey hired him for Saturday Night Live beginning in 1985. So just barging into Dave Letterman's office while drunk and smoking, (laughs) telling him TV sucked. uh, Man, just to be in that office, to be a fly in the wall, the mythic meeting between Swartzwelder and Letterman. That's that's an amazing story. I'd never heard that before that, you know, other people when they get there, like this kind of once in a lifetime Cinderella moment of like, you get to interview, to write for David Letterman, the most like celebrated smart comedy on on network television at the time. For him, his thought was like, "This is my opportunity to finally tell David Letterman television's bad." <laughs> David He'll, will get it. Yes, yeah. he'll get me. <laughs> He's too real, just like me. Sounds a bit like the plot of the Joker, actually, <laughs> or more specifically, I guess, King of Comedy. Schwarzwalder yeah. was the original Joker. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it should be pointed out that like before our time, uh, David Letterman was like the only funny guy on TV. If you were a cool comedy nerd like there was no one else as funny and dark and subversive as Letterman in the early 80s so when Schwarzwalder was hired for SNL he shared a writing office with uh, Robert Smigel the famous writer didn't know Uh, that either yes uh, Triumph the Insult insult Comic Dog Mm -hmm. and that's when he also met uh, George Meyer and uh, was fired mid-season in 1986. So he mm-hmm. hired in 85, fired in 86. I mean, that was the rough Lauren return season, right? Yes. So uh, not, not much is remembered from that, I think, except for like a couple of Lovitz and Hartman sketches. I think no- nobody ever references it. There was a shakeup in the upper... Somebody was trying to bring in more recorded material, I read. Like, mm. they wanted to do pre-recorded stuff. Yeah, there was a big change-up happening behind the scenes, and I think George Meyer left in protest, also because mm. I think he liked John Swartzwelder. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he hired uh, John to work on his zine, Army Man, the mythical Army Man in which uh, John Vitti, correct? George mm-hmm. Meyer, John Swartzwelder, anyone else? Uh, those are the only three Simpsons writers yeah. I know of that worked on it. Yeah. They were all, like, kind of Hollywood outsiders that were recruited 
to work on The Simpsons to when uh, mm. Sam Simon was staffing up. I mean, uh, Meyer worked on SNL, but he hated it and didn't make any friends there. <laughs> it's so special what Army Man the Zine is because it really is just like, uh, you know, a bunch of friends basically who would just be goofing on Twitter with weird jokes. Yeah, but back then they're like, well, the only way we can do these weird jokes is to write them together and then print them ourselves and uh, create a mailing list and do all that stuff. Ian Frazier of The New Yorker, who's actually one of their best writers, I think was also on Army Man. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah, cool. He's really good. If you look at an Army Man zine, and they're all scanned online, like some of the articles are just like a list of jokes as if they're tweets. I think George <laughs> Meyer described the quintessential Schwarzwelder joke is, they can kill the Kennedys, why can't they make a decent cup of coffee? <laughs> it's like horror juxtaposed uh, with the mundane. Man, you get banned from Twitter for that joke Yeah, now. that's true. <laughs> That'd be a ban. <laughs> but yes, uh, he wrote until season 15's The Regina Monologues. I believe that's the Simpsons Are Going to England episode. Mm. It was a season 14 holdover, so technically he was on from seasons 1 to 14. And he actually stopped coming into the office in season 6 because of LA's, and I believe California's as a whole, they had anti-smoking laws indoors. Mm. So he could no longer smoke in the writer's room. So he was allowed, because he was so talented, to work from home. And essentially, he bought a, uh, a diner booth from his favorite diner. he couldn't smoke in the diner to write anymore either. <laughs> he couldn't smoke there either. And uh, he worked from home out of this diner booth in his own crazy house. I think it's funny that he didn't do any commentaries, I think, out of like his own reclusiveness and also thinking they're stupid, I would assume. But then by not doing commentaries... Every commentary is just full of like tall tales about him from all the writers who worked with him. They are like Bill Brasky stories <laughs> from that SNL uh, sketch. But uh, yeah, he still has written the most episodes of The Simpsons, 59. And from that uh, last season he worked on, he rolled right into writing novels. Mm -hmm. And so far he's written a bunch of them and they're all very, very funny. And uh, because he was just part of that uh, ecosystem, in the mid-90s he was given a development deal. John Swartzwelder was allowed to make a pilot. <laughs> it is called Pistol Pete. Uh, it's online. It's not good, mm -hmm. but it's also very fun to watch because it's John Swartzwelder writing Simpsons jokes for a live action cast who doesn't quite get it and it's really fun to watch i kind of want to cover it on a podcast soon because it's just a bizarre point in history in which john swartzwelder this crazy man <laughs> was allowed to make a western pilot like to be a man like and be in a managerial role as like executive producer yes. of something <laughs> to be a boss but uh yeah we talked so much about him but there's just a few more facts in general overview 59 episodes of the simpsons up to season 14 and uh, his books are fantastic they're all very short reads all very funny and mm -hmm. that's he's still doing it and he's he yeah. just i think he just turned 70 recently wow yeah and the i mean he's yeah he's defined on the commentary as like the also the right wing crank of the simpsons office which i think they you know in the writer's room at least in the early years was kind of a novelty to them because you had all these like harvard educated you know uh liberal comedy writers and then they have this like weird dude with a mustache like who just says eh, they're gonna they're gonna hang clinton from the rafters and, they, like, it's and it should be pointed out that uh, Her herman's design and sort of attitude is based on swartzwelder mm -hmm. and uh the caricature is kind of him but much later i think in the front you'll see a, a very unflattering caricature mm -hmm. of swartzwelder uh, a larger man another of my favorite details about him they said that like he'd be smoking the whole time 
but also eating a bunch of Reese's peanut butter cups that he would like stack up on the arms of his chair and eat them one at a time as he goes. Like, but we could be telling Schwarzwelder stories yes. all day. I, the one new one since we last talked about Schwarzwelder on the podcast, I think, was hearing Mike Reese in one of his many interviews he did about his book on his time on The Simpsons. There's a whole section about working with John Schwarzwelder, and he had nothing but complimentary things to say. He was like, what a nice guy. He is weird, though. And he mentioned that like he had heard Schwarzwelder did own a Hitler painting just for the novelty of owning a painting Hitler made. He can't afford it. <laughs> the thing with Schwarzwelder is I think he always knew that giving somebody a good story to tell was probably better than being like logical or competent or, you know, <laughs> consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that's what I always think of when the Letterman story comes by. That's what I always think. I'm like that. Whoever was doing that interview was talking about that guy for years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in most of those cases, it's like, and that's the story of the guy we didn't hire. But in this <laughs> case, uh, now that's, uh, yeah, man, what a, what an interesting guy. I hope hope somebody gets to interview him someday but i feel yeah. like he's he just it's also crazy to hear like he's like un, seemingly unmarried and like lives with his brother and that's yeah. like it's and different his, his health is uh i guess pretty good uh you hear weird stories about his health on the podcast mm. uh, not on the podcast on the commentaries too and that he felt like running short bursts <laughs> was like very healthy and also he would go to the mayo clinic to get a very expensive appointment once a year mm. and i believe that is what inspired mr burns going in and the mansion family yeah Yes, uh, yeah, have getting yeah. three stooges syndrome where the uh, the various <laughs> viruses couldn't get through the door yeah Swordswelder would always brag that uh, this as the story went he would brag that he's like actually they tell me i'm more healthy than ever and that smoking <laughs> is good so there same with like he was one of those people who'd say well actually there's more rainforest now than there ever was and it's good to burn it down and seatbelts cost more lives than they save yeah i i think whenever a character says something like that they're just paraphrasing a Schwarzwelderism from from the room though comparatively there's not much of that crankness in this other than herman herman is where they put the the Schwarzwelderisms in there i you know when you describe his looks i remember conan o'brien saying that like oh yeah if he was a like mid 1800s police officer like walking around the streets of boston he would be the most handsome <laughs> one of the time he really would <laughs> he's basically john c Riley's character from gangs of new york oh like. my god you're right <laughs> I can see it now. Well, also, the uh, the director of this one, David Silverman, we talked a ton about him before, but one thing I had forgotten about until hearing the commentary that really is nuts to me now. So he had just directed Bart the Genius. He is now working on this one, and he boarded Bart the General. So he is concurrently directing Bart the Genius and boarding Bart the General. That That is an insane workload to put on anybody. And I think I think they just didn't have the work practices figured out yet that they didn't realize it was horribly overworking. Yeah, him. that one man couldn't direct, what, like four episodes? He directed four episodes yeah. that season. Yeah. <laughs> out of out of 13. Like more than a third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a we third. would never do anything uh, like that anymore. But no. Put too much on an animator's desk that would just be <laughs> for all, a director of animator they're all well paid and uh you know mm-hmm. good health insurance yeah mm-hmm. C- certainly by streaming companies too they treat him very well and very yep. respectfully uh and also this one on the dvds is one of the few on the season one dvds that has the original table draft script in full macarening's copy it's correct? macarening's yeah. copy yeah so i i uh read through the whole thing right before this and made some notes about big 
big changes that were made. There are a few, and I'll get to them in order in the episode. But uh, the table draft itself is pretty interesting, just in that, like, there's there's Matt Groening doodles in there. You can even see him, like, what I think is his first try. Like, what would I draw Nelson as? And hmm. and also uh, some big additions to it that are, like, in Matt Groening's, uh, like, writing on the page. So uh, it's pretty interesting. I kind of wish they put more of the table drafts in the uh, DVD extras, but I think they didn't because it shows you, like, it, I think it showed too much about the sausage is made. I think they got afraid to show that much. I also think they're like, well, who is going to look at this on their, on their SDTV in <laughs> 2001? No yeah, true. like, who yeah. is this for? Uh, do you want to get to the opening? Yes, yeah. Oh, so the opening is like a very weird edit of the opening in which uh, it's the normal opening for season one, but once you get to the school, there's like a weird like video-y freeze mm-hmm. and a weird video-y zoom in, and then you fade to the Simpsons house, and you kind of video freeze on that and then zoom in. It's like very awkward, but I really feel like they had to make room for Bart's speech at the end, which mm-hmm. was an addition. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think that's I think that's you're right. That's the big change they had to make. This and this is a first. They'd never edited the opening to this point. This is, you know, the fifth episode. They're finally like, uh, we got we're out of time. Like this would be a constant thing for the Simpsons of chopping up around their opening either longer or shorter to fit in jokes and uh, or to cover for a lack of enough scenes uh, but this is the first time and uh, you can see how primitive the technology and tools they had at the time were because there's like okay just stop it here and uh, nobody I guess on an SDTV maybe the freeze frame yeah. artifacting isn't as obvious but it looks it does look bad now it's very know? obvious now and uh, also, you know, a very proto Rugrats opening too of starting in an oven with a close up of it. Like Silverman mentioned, he loves posing like that of starting a, a scene or a, a opening of an episode with a um, bewildering close up of something that takes a viewer a second to be like, wait, what am I looking at? I think they really ripped him off on Rugrats for that at Klasky Chupo. You never start inside of a baby's mouth, though. Well, fortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> Though you do ride inside giant Maggie's mouth in Simpsons the Ride, though. Somebody's she, getting off to that. I think you yeah. pointed that out. Yes. There's yeah. some there's some vor stuff on that ride. It's a horrifying <laughs> moment. It is. Uh, oh wait, I have one thing up front though. Mm-hmm. A weird thing. So uh, if you look at all the season one merch and games, especially video games, they really had to look very hard. Like, what can we mine from this? And for whatever reasons, somebody pointed out that uh, oh, cupcakes are a very important element of the Simpsons world because cupcakes play a very important role in this first act Mm -hmm. and also cupcakes playing to the beginning of moaning lisa where she says a simple cupcake will bring me no joy oh yeah yeah (laughs) so that's why there's a 1990 tiger electronics game called bart simpson's cupcake crisis (laughs) because they're like uh what does bart do he likes cupcakes and there's an entire little handheld dinky lcd game about bart uh, eating cupcakes and stealing them and stuff so man i never saw that one i gotta look that up that's you know they might have more cupcakes than squishies in season one or or an equal amount I these cupcakes bugged me. They never looked appetizing to me as a kid. That's the tragedy of it is that like they're they look like absolute garbage. And like later you get a little frosting and like a cherry on top occasionally, I feel. Is oh that, yeah. That's the that's the look I usually remember for this. I think in Duffless we got yeah. better cupcakes. When Bart is imitating the scene from Clockwork Orange and he's falling down as he grabs for two cupcakes. Yeah. 
Those these, are appetizing looking cupcakes. These look but. more like muffins to me, <laughs> yeah. honestly. But I mean, I now I only eat cupcakes like every eight years when I go to a wedding because <laughs> no one has cakes, uh, like actual cake that you cut anymore, which is fine. I think it's Except better Henry, to have Henry, who sold out did have to the a, cake industry. Yeah, but a wonderful, <laughs> delicious $300 cake. I, I enjoyed my $30 piece of it. <laughs> and, that was, and that's just a two-tiered cake, by the way. But uh, uh, Well, actually, I've had cupcakes a few times because my husband still, he works in an office. And so every now and then he'll come, I'm like, they got us cupcakes. Mm. I brought home a few. Like uh, So... I've had. I think the mistake here is coloring. I think it was not supposed to be brown on brown. I think <laughs> brown on brown. I, I think it's supposed to come out as a brown cupcake, but then have different color frosting. But so when Lisa's putting like brown frosting on a brown cupcake, it's just. I didn't even read his chocolate. I read it as like bran or something. It just yeah. never never looks good. It it looks like they're smearing molasses on a bran muffin, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh. disgusting. Like I don't want to eat that. Nobody wants to. Eat. Like it'd be one thing if it was just like. Well, like one of those crumble cake muffins or like a chocolate chip muffin maybe i understand but like ugh. whenever i have a chocolatey muffin or a sweeter muffin i'm just like why isn't this just a cupcake what am i what are we doing with this muffin here <laughs> that's my feeling with uh like starbucks frappuccino things i'm like just have a milkshake yeah like just uh, just do that well, the, the sad truth is they just are milkshakes <laughs> what what people yeah but like people if they would feel you know they're being unhealthy if they lined up for like a milkshake every morning but yeah. Yeah. If it's their coffee, it's fine. Uh, unfortunately, most cups of coffee don't have 1,200 calories. <laughs> no, so <laughs> It's like having a black cup of coffee and then a bag of, a big bag of M&M's. That's... <laughs> the Simpsons will be right back. Sunday. Keep it down. Am I making myself go? Bart declares war on the local bully. Instead of fighting, why don't you try a little understanding? Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Maharishi Gandhi. But never fear. Let me help you dry those tears. Sunday at 8.30 on Fox 5. We hope you're enjoying this podcast while keeping your arms inside of the bus. And a big thank you to our guest this week, Chris Cabin from the We Hate Movies podcast. Always awesome to have him on. So glad he could join us for this re-exploration of the first season for the 30th anniversary. We Hate Movies is a great podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast and get every episode of Talking Simpsons one week ahead of time and without ads like this one, you need to go over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Subscribers there, support me and Bob doing this full time. It's our real ass jobs. So please, five bucks a month makes a big, big difference. And you get so many cool things. You get this podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free. You could hear next week's right now. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we talk about a different animated series once a week. Plus, that five bucks a month gets you over 100 exclusive Patreon podcasts, an ever-growing list of them. Our exclusive mini-series where we talk about episodes of The Critic, Futurama, and King of the Hill in the same style as Talking Simpsons. Community podcasts, deleted scenes, season wrap-ups, and over 20 interviews with folks who have worked on The Simpsons many for decades and decades. You can only hear those if you're a $5 and up supporter at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons.
Want something even nicer than fresh-baked cupcakes? Then that is at the $10 and up level at patreon.com slash talkingsimpsons. You know all that $5 stuff I just talked about? Well, you get that. And a monthly exclusive extra long bonus podcast what a cartoon movie me and bob talk for over four hours many times about a different animated feature film once a month recent episodes of what a cartoon movie have covered the animatrix toy story iron giant all of which we talked about in detail both the history and going scene by scene through the films. And the back catalog has so many great ones. Kiki's Delivery Service, Tiny Toons How I Spent My Vacation, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Aladdin, a goofy movie, Beavis and Butthead Do America. So many great podcasts, over 50 hours of great podcasts to listen to, and there's a new one every month. So please, if you really enjoy what we're doing, sign up at the $10 level or upgrade your pledge and get to hear all of that at patreon.com slash talking simpsons uh but yeah so uh lisa is preparing cupcakes and uh homer takes a specific lesson from it these are for lisa's class it's mrs hoover's birthday you know there are names for people like you. No, there are Teacher's pet, apple polisher, butt kisser. Bart, you're saying butt kisser like it's a bad thing. Huh? Well, you see, boy, never hurts to grease the wheels a little. I'm not greasing the wheels, Dad. I like my teacher. Sure, Lise. You see how it works, Bart? <laughs> a cupcake here, a good grade there. Dad, I get good grades because I'm smart and I pay attention and I study hard. Yeah, right, Lisa. It's <laughs> the three roads to success, Bart. Work, brains, and... Hmm? Oh, brother. Uh-oh, school bus, gotta go! No. <laughs> oh. Very cartoony zip-arounds a lot in this here, including like Lisa's zip in and zip out, taking the cupcake back. And a lot of the early Simpsons in season one is about Homer uh, teaching the wrong lessons to mm -hmm. kids. I feel like the joke in the future is that he would just be too inattentive and drunk or lazy <laughs> to even engage on this level with Bart. Like he would not say, get up on my knee, son. Here's time for a lesson. Mm, yeah, he'd, he'd be too lazy to even do that. Like this. Also, Homer has a couple things in here like, this is too clever for Homer. He's he's not uh, the big dumb uh, as, as Schwarzwalder has described him, the dog who can say his own name. That's Homer. <laughs> Says, I love you on command. <laughs> uh, so this is the first mention of Miss Hoover, though Lisa says Mrs. Hoover. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's surprising that Miss Hoover, like, she doesn't appear until late season two. Like, you'd think she'd be in, in Moaning Lisa because Lisa has problems at school. You'd think you'd see your teacher, but not so. Uh, Miss Hoover on screen didn't appear until... Very late season two, brush with greatness, and not oh. even in a school context. Oh, he's uh, he's bad, but he'll die, so I like it, right? That's right, That's her? Yeah. yeah. I think they wrote that scene and made up a character to say it, and then in a coming episode, they're like, oh, we need the Miss Hoover. Okay, well, let's draw her in here. Like, let's just use that old one. From, Was Lisa from substitute the first one with I her, think officially? In, in class, yeah. Yeah. But the Wikipedia puts her brush with graceness as the first on-screen appearance. Interesting. Then that's true, and uh, Lisa famously loves Miss Hoover and wants to give her <laughs> things. Treats. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how they wanted to play this. Like, they kind of... The Lisa we know does not 
suck up to teachers and she really is doing it to be nice. But I think they hadn't decided that yet at this time. I think they want you to wonder like, is Lisa a butt kisser or is she uh, just a nice student, Hmm. you know? Well, what's funny to me is that I feel like Mrs. Hoover would be the first one to be telling Lisa, Lisa, don't be a butt kisser. Yes. <laughs> she's seen it all, really. She's, yeah. she's the most devoid of emotion. Like yeah. she's, she's more broken down than Krabopolis. Yeah, like Edna's got a spark to her. Uh, Hoover's just defeated and jaded. Mm-hmm. And drinking yeah. Drambuie all day. And uh, Krabappel, like, it, it, it's an ebb and flow. Like, she's disappointed, then all of a sudden, like, she gets passionate again, mm-hmm. and then it dissipates again, whereas Hoover just seems like a total flatline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I can also see why Lisa gets so depressed in the next episode, because her father is just fully saying, like, you don't earn your grades. You're not smart. Who cares? You just uh, you just suck up to people. That uh, That's actually pretty hurtful on Homer's <laughs> part, especially like, yeah, right. There's several lines in here that are Homer being bad specifically to Lisa, which I think is definitely a Schwarzwelder trait of, of his script. Also, not involving Marge in the plot at all. Yeah, yeah. Marge that... is still sort of just hovering in the background, uh, trying to get into the stories this early. <laughs> when Marge does appear in this story, it's mainly to show that moms are useless. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, that was another thing in Mike Reese's book. He said that Schwarzwalder had the strange uh, proclivity of turning in scripts where Lisa and Marge do not appear and they have to add them in rewrites. But yeah, I also love Homer's like, Bard, you're saying butt kisser like it's a bad thing. It's just a funny line to say. So they get on the bus and they meet up with Otto for, uh, for this brief little scene. So the funny thing about the bribe talk like the like it's good to butt kiss and stuff like it's like i had a grandfather who was a uh, bookie for the jewish mafia oh nice and he would him and my dad always like kind of always said stuff like this <laughs> wow like they didn't think of it as a, a weird thing they always were like yeah you know sometimes yeah it, they never used grease the wheels but then i learned grease the wheels later i was like oh that's what they were trying to tell me <laughs> uh you as an innocent child you <laughs> couldn't you couldn't understand yeah, that works. <laughs> Give them stuff. I don't yeah. know if I'd rather be a podcaster or part of the Jewish mafia now. Mm, uh, <laughs> uh, it's probably all too businessy now. Yeah. Too, too many layers yeah. of management. Not the not the fun way it was 80 years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think I ever got this kind of speech of like why it's good to suck up. I think, you know, as I would learn in, in the working world, it was better to have a boss like you than not like you, even if you did a good job, which uh, I'm glad those those bosses sucked. I'm glad they didn't like me. I think the real reason, though, uh, but is sucking up is what pe- gets people to take advantage of you. It's just like, oh, yeah. that loser will do anything for us. He'll stay late. He'll scrub toilets. He'll just be a little apple polisher. Just exploit him. The guy doesn't care. Don't trust him with anything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, you can't win, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get to that point until junior high, and I had been taken advantage of plenty by then. <laughs> Although when I did teach college writing classes, I did like the suck-ups, mm. because they were at least engaged and paying attention. Mm. You know what? All right, well, this is very pro-suck-up then, yeah. I think. <laughs> Depends on what kind of job you're in, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the kids get on the bus. Uh, they really used Otto a lot in these first seasons. They loved Otto. They, they thought he'd be like, yeah, Bart's cool older friend. We're going to get so many stories out of this character is his stoner buddy uh and uh, this brief little moment here is uh, the first time he's hung around lisa yo auto man yo bye dude hey can you believe it man my sister here made a whole pile of cupcakes to butter up her teacher and she won't give anybody else even one measly little crumb <laughs> that's bad news man here auto i made an extra one for you oh thanks little lady you're welcome 
I like how just emptily auto, except like, no, oh, that sucks. Okay, thanks. Like, he has no, no judgments either way on it. We, the drawings in this, we did that live show uh, of weird drawings, and here's another one we could add to it of like, I think Bart and Lisa, when they're talking to Otto, or when Bart's saying like, she wouldn't even share one with us, like, their heads look like jack-o'-lanterns on them like they're they're really big heads i just looked it up in frankie now and it's uh they're odd <laughs> they they are giant i mean again rugratsy kind of heads there it feels it feels more in the klasky chupo verse of, uh, of them there's a lot of uh moments in season one where it looks like they're unhinging their jaws like a snake to eat <laughs> something yeah, I was looking, it's really, really, really disturbing. I was looking at the scene, and there's a lot of characters who they're like their mouth line extends behind their head when they're talking. So like mm-hmm. the mouth is like sort of like just jutting out behind the flesh. Yeah, which I think is a fun drawing style. But when you're used to the more defined and solid Simpsons uh, episodes that don't break those rules for cartoony effect. It does seem crazy. Like, uh, this is getting ahead of ourselves in the season one redo, but I think my most favorite extreme version of their giant mouths is when they wish Marge a happy birthday and wake her up. Happy birthday! Like, their mouths are two times the size of their head. That's almost like a Charlie Brown uh, kind of parody, almost. Uh, But uh, yeah, they head to the back. This is where there's a. I think this is a very realistic, like, sibling interaction here of realizing you pissed off your sibling they're not going to help you so time to correct course and pretend that you uh, like them so they'll give them what you want uh and also in this scene there's a lot of dot-eyed children on the bus too yeah (laughs) mostly there's good character designs in this compared to like homer's odyssey and some of the freaks in there but uh there's there's still a lot of background weirdos in here yeah when bart is trying to escape from the schoolyard much later he sort of darts by these two dot-eyed children staring vacantly (laughs) and not moving it's very (laughs) distracting uh but but here is Bart's uh, convincing Lisa to get himself a cupcake. Better let me hold his lease. Forget it. You sniveling toad, you little egg sucker. Tell me more. Back scratcher, bootlegger, honor student. You'll never get one now, Mr. Name Caller. All right, all right. Look, I'm sorry. I, I got upset. In the heat of the moment, I said some things I didn't mean. You weren't thinking, were you? No. I'm not a sniveling toad, am I? Not really. I'm not a little egg sucker, am I? Of course not. Then what am I? A beautiful human being. (laughs) What do you like best about me? Well, I'd have to say... Your generous nature. Your spirit of giving. (laughs) Well... hmm. Open your mouth and close your eyes and you will get a big surprise. Ah! Thanks, You're the best. That's disgusting. You know, yeah. I <laughs> I have kind of a five second rule with food, but I would make an exception for something with like creamy frosting that would streak on the ground. Yeah. Also a school bus. It's a sure. specific kind of germ factory you're talking about there. That's true. If I drop something on, say, the the BART train in San Francisco, uh, that is gone forever and I would never touch. Even if it's not food, I'd be like, well, my wallet's gone. No more wallet for me. <laughs> That's for the rats now. <laughs> But this is uh, the fun part, not apology. I really like that writing of him. Of like, uh, look, some things were said. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> and it also, I like. It does feel very 
taken from real life of a sibling realizing they've got one on you. Like, what else do you like about me? Like, they, uh, it's it's a cool little moment that that you don't get many brother sister moments with Lisa and Bart until this uh, episode, I think. And Bart really takes on like a traditional bratty older brother in this, mm. doing things I don't think he would do in like even a season three episode because he'd be like, eh, that's too obvious of a thing an older brother would do. Let's let's go in an opposite direction. Yeah, a lot of the stuff is really on the nose where they would try to subvert it or twist it or add an interesting wrinkle like mm. this and the bully stuff and Skinner stuff. We'll talk more about that later, though. Yeah, I mean, the, the bully messaging in this, it isn't that different from a concurrently airing Tiny Toons episode uh, <laughs> where Hampton gets bullied by Montana Max and he has to learn why what to do if you're getting bullied. And uh, I'm sure none of us were bullied as the cool kids we were in school. No, never. Yeah, def- no. Nope. No. Uh, this this isn't tell uh, your most horrible bullying stories moment, but yes, this I mean this was more when I saw this at seven was a preview of bullying to come in like, my life. Oh, this is a fictional situation, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, this will never happen. I mean, the only fictional thing is banding together uh, friends to help you defeat a bully. Thankfully, uh, all the bullying was really psychological in my case. Mm. Uh, it didn't mess with me at all in ways I still remember today. <laughs> okay, no way. <laughs> I was like one I was one of two like big kids in my grade and the other one like got it into his head immediately. I was stupid at the time. He got into his head immediately. He's like I have to take this guy out. This guy's got to be the one who takes all the all the fat jokes from me. Uh so we fought uh and I thought I mean I was, uh, it was my first fight. I have not been in many. Uh and I got my clock cleaned. Ooh. Ooh. I, well, I mean, school is meant to train you for prison. Those are good, good uh, rules to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Good lessons yeah, to learn. Good to know. You know, I never got in a physical fight in uh, up to junior high. I but I did like it was more. You know, the the, the psychological th- torture was also <laughs> a physical threat implicit of like, oh, well, yeah. this will happen. But I also do remember the battle for like not to be the lowest rung on the ladder in the classroom of like this. I have to make sure this other guy. I mean, that's a horrible thing that uh, that it makes you feel guilty of like, well, I helped another person be bullied, so I would be bullied slightly less uh these are the things that haunt you <laughs> i was lucky in that i had a guy in my grade who was in a bunch of classes with me too and he d- only showered like once a month Ooh. Mm. in the middle of puberty mm. uh so I-, I i got off a little light on that one because he took everything that's uh that's very lucky <laughs> i remember that uh and this is a little bit dark but i remember when uh, in seventh grade there was like a new kid in our class and clearly like the nerdiest most you know outsider kid ever and all of us nerds breathe a sigh of relief like okay woo, <laughs> we just moved up a little bit uh, yeah it's... gentlemen welcome to easy street <laughs> <laughs> well this is that code of the schoolyard that it did like we we didn't call it that but these were the things you understood in school yeah. that you learned through i you know i'd hope with all the like last like uh, i don't know five six seven years of anti-bullying talk in the media i hope it's better for kids in school now i hope it's not as like torturous and awful and at the very least like a teacher enforces anti-bullying stuff a bit more but uh I mean, kids will always be assholes. They're like the most sociopathic beings on earth, I think. I think it's only gotten worse now that everyone can film everybody all the time and oh, take pictures. Oh, God, so, yeah, uh, yeah. You're right, yep. Yeah. I think the stuff in school has gotten much better, and I think everything online just has, like, it's like a, a hitting the, sc- the early school stuff with, like, radioactivity. Yeah, you're right. I am actually very 
Now that you've said that, I'm very happy I did not go to school in a time when every child had a phone that could film yeah. anything I did. I can't imagine if I have the tools I have now back in like 1993, what would even happen to me? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, this is a, well, this story is even more quaint because it is like a 50s or 60s bullying scenario. It really is. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are very like traditional relationships in the season one stuff that would eventually be twisted and exaggerated. Like Bart is... Uh, uh, you know, uh, afraid of his uh, scary principal who's very stern and he's afraid of this bully who's very mean and will hit him. Mm-hmm. Like Skinner and Nelson would become much more interesting characters and much sadder characters after this. <laughs> but like, I think the one wrinkle to the Nelson bully thing to make it kind of like fun in 90s is like, oh, he has assistants that like schedule beatings for him. That's like the mm-hmm. one little addition to this that makes it more than a standard bully story. I think uh, the, his assistants are called Weasel 1 and Weasel 2 in the sk- The script. wiki calls them Yellow Weasel and Black Weasel, which that could be them in the script. Did the script say that? Uh, It just, yeah, I don't believe it denoted race in the script. It just was, there's one and two. So uh, maybe the wiki should update to one and two instead of making it a race thing. And they would stick around as background characters very rarely. I think they're still just hanging around in the background, but Mm -hmm. Nelson would just sort of enter the orbit of uh, Jimbo Dolphin Kearney after they were invented. I just remember them. Don't they come back in the uh, when uh, Bart races with Martin Prince's car? Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, they're yeah. always with him in that one too. I think that was the last time they were in their traditional roles as Nelson's assistants. Wow, season three. So yeah. I guess they stuck around a little longer than I thought. That one uh, debuted with a uh, music video you don't talk about anymore. <laughs> yeah. that oh, deep deep trouble, right? Uh, n- no, Michael. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it was bla- it was Michael Jackson's Black or White. Just to be clear, for hist- history's sake. Uh, uh, but um yeah no those characters i mean even in season three when the, you see the weasels again they really do look very season one because they're twins in design but clearly not meant to be related to each other so it's just kind of a very distracting cartoony choice they they wouldn't make in character designs even in season two you know just a, a repeated design with with race swapped in it is or a palette swap i guess you would say in video game terms <laughs> <laughs> this is like the scorpion and uh, Ermac or whatever yeah. of Nelson's world. <laughs> or when like Blanca was blue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, uh, scorpion and let's say Smoke. Mm-hmm. Ermac was an unrelated robot ninja. Uh, uh, or Sub-Zero or Scorpion. Yeah. Or, reptile. Uh, reptile. They all were. Yeah. yeah. Rain. Rain. A, yeah. That's a purple one because it was a, a Prince reference. Yeah. I think like Ermac was the robot and there was like <laughs> new Cybots or whatever. And well, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> also in this bit, like Bart's acting like a very just uh, straightly written big brother in here of like, hey, man, that's my sister. Like that. It's a very big brother moment for him that he'd I would see even in season three, Bart going like, hey, you fight your own battles or I'm not doing that. Or he'd if he did big brother help, it would be helping her like plot to do something evil, not really fighting another kid on his behalf. And we were doing uh, on a recent live show showing off the wrong race character. So we have uh, White Lou in this season. We have Blacksmithers. We also have White Janie, who's a different character altogether. Oh, yeah. She's like, have a cupcake, Janie. And Janie's just a different person. I totally missed that. Yeah. The, yeah you're right. That the, the often heard of Janie, Lisa's only friend, who barely even likes her. 
the squishing of the cupcakes that i think that's really well done you feel like uh, oh something is lost here when he steps on it i think something not fully communicated in the animation but i think what's happening when the weasel one is grabbing the cupcakes he's biting just the creamy top off of them and tossing the other part oh, behind him i think i caught that this time but not before yeah you gotta pop the top <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the only part that's good my cousin used to uh eat the tops and then like, I'm not kidding you, a soup spoon full of butter and just oh. drag it on the top of what oh, was left. Oh, dude. And it was, I, I even me, as a, a young butter lover, was like, oh. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but yes, then Bart is interrupted from saving his sister with the arrival of Nelson Muntz's first appearance. Uh, it's funny on the commentaries in season one, Graining's talking about how, like, the toy makers and the video game people were like, you need to give Bart more enemies because that's how who he fights or that's the other toy we're going to use. And I think that's why Nelson was one of the first of the run of non-Simpsons family characters to get a toy. Mm. Oh, the ones with the weird, like, word bubbles you just stick in their head, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. I, I remember many a time in uh, my childhood having my Bartman figure fight my Nelson figure. And were they non-posable? Uh, they had, no. Bendy? Their shoulders could move. These okay. were not the bendy ones. Got these it. were... Uh, these were a little later. The bendy ones were like year one. I think year two is when they had the ones with the uh, shoulders and hips and heads could swivel, but otherwise stiffer plastic. And those are good. I even had the, uh, it came the, I had all of the family plus Nelson and Bartman. Bartman and Bart were separate figures. And I had the couch that also came with the TV where you could switch out the, uh, the picture that was on mm. the TV. Those, those are some good Simpsons toys. Uh, I used to, I remember having the Bartman one that could fight, but I don't, the stretchy ones, I don't remember. I, I had a couple of the stretchy ones that were just, they, they, they were your usual, you know, wire under plastic bendy guys. The, they, they were pretty cheap and also made of uh, very heavy plastic. Yeah, not fun to play with. <laughs> Unless you needed to beat your sibling with something. Like, <laughs> it's, it's pretty quality It was batter. a good uh, cudgel. <laughs> I mean, that comes up more than you would think. Mm -hmm. It's useful. It's useful. What can I put in a sock? <laughs> a G.I. Joe, you'd have to put a lot of G.I. Joes in a sock, but a one Bart head, just wham, you're taking your, your brother's crying after that. You're breaking skin, buddy. <laughs> Uh, so Nelson Muntz, uh, this might be apocryphal because I could never find it, but I swear in the early Bongo comics, they'd have like uh, each month, Matt Groening would do like a little editorial telling some story. And he told a story about how like partially Nelson Muntz was influenced by a lot of different bullies in his life. But one of them was Frank Miller, the comic creator. And he says, what? it's it's kind of informed by him. Again, I don't know how much that was bullshit that he just made up for an essay, but uh. I, I I swear to you, Bongo Comic Collectors, find this uh, essay for me. I swear it's out there. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, Nelson uh, makes his first appearance, and uh, he has quite a good line here. <gasps> Nelson, you're bleeding. Nah, happens all the time. Somebody else's blood splatters on me. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You're right. You made me bleed my own blood. Oh! <gasps> It was an accident, man. A terrible, ghastly mistake. Ask anybody. <laughs> Uh-oh. A cold wind. <laughs> Hello, kids. Everything above the board here? Good. Play friendly, children. Uh-oh, there's your bell. Come along now, all of you. No dawdling now. 
I'll get you after school, man. But... Oh, no, no, no. He'll get you after school, son. Now hurry <laughs> up. It's time for class. But... Scoot, young Simpson. There's learning afoot. Boy, you know, like, the gent the doofy, gentle prodding of Skinner feels very different than the Skinner from Bart the Genius. Yeah. It feels like they weren't sure that, like, Schwartzwald didn't get the memo about who <laughs> Skinner was. Just the, the very still, like, move along, young Simpson. There's learning afoot. Just, it feels very uh, different than Bart the Genius. Yeah, this is not the Skinner trying to get Bart expelled from the school and gotten rid of, and he's tired of him. I think if any authority figure used the word afoot to me at that age, I'd be saying, what the fuck did you say? <laughs> <laughs> what are these words? What are you talking about? I also, uh, one of my favorite drawings in this is the the weird change in Skinner's face when he goes like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and yeah, the uh, made, made me bleed my own blood. What a great line. Yeah, that's a standout of season one. <laughs> uh, and just from Bart's wild, just arm flailing about when he gets picked up like that. I also like, they're like, no, it happens all the time. I get tons of blood on me from other people I beat. Uh, and that actually is a rewrite on Mac Grading script. It was not there in the original Source Welder uh, draft turned in. Hmm. You know, this bit about like the silence of the schoolyard, how you're being... You know, nobody is sticking up for you in this moment, and they're just leaving you to be killed by Nelson. I think that's more of graining, you know, taking from his childhood and just it was it was when he had more of his childhood to mine and when it was more recent in his memory because he was like thirty early thirties when these uh, first episodes were airing. It's one thing that they're not going to like rat them out to skinner but skinner is witness to a threat and <laughs> that's how uh useless he is there I think he's choosing to misread it well what else is he going to do and for like he knows his place in society as well as anyone he has to enforce preventing bullying is counter to what they need in the school as far as he sees it i think he's probably still of the generation who's like that builds character mm -hmm. i was bullied a lot and it made me strong yeah I'd see that. Uh, also, not in the script are the two dream sequences in this. Like, they, yeah, there's just like a it's like a real dream sequence sandwich, and the dream sequences <laughs> are the bread coming up. I wonder if they had like they were like, oh, we've got two ideas. Oh, why choose? Let's just cut a couple things. And I think the dream sequences. I would wonder if like Graining wanted to add them because he just enjoyed the dream sequences from uh, uh, from the shorts as well, or if it was like Silverman at the storyboard stage of like, eh, hey, how about a little dream sequence you know it, it really helps uh lighten the mood uh from bart's constant dread throughout the school mm -hmm. day you can have a little more fun <laughs> and this uh this one of him being chased by the terminator-esque nelson Muntz on the unstoppable one he's i like the bullets bounce off him they say in the commentary they could only get away with shooting at him in a dream if the bullets <laughs> bounced off I, I think I remember as a kid, just seeing the knives going to Nelson was kind of shocking. Just like mm. it felt like an edgy to a choice that I wasn't expecting, like him to be stabbed and just shove all the knives away. <laughs> uh, and also the uh, the drawing of Bart holding the machine gun is such a fun drawing. <laughs> yeah. It's like Daffy Duck holding a machine gun. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, it's Nancy doing Nelson, one of her like most consistent characters. But uh, I think his voice lightens over the years. But this is a pretty, pretty close to the Nelson she'd be doing. And we get ha 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 instead yeah. of ha ha like that. You're right. I is I believe the first ha ha is when he rides by on his bike when Bart is selling lemonade, and Lisa's like, "Oh no, do this!" And he tur she turns all the things around like, "Now you look pathetic." <laughs> and then uh, oh no, wait, no, sorry. Oh, it was 
was misreporting it. Yes. yes. Was it the one where they're having a party and grandpa's babysitting them? It's in, uh, yeah, the War of the Roses episode. Yeah. The, uh, the, yeah. As they're having the party, his pants, he's like, You want me to take off my belt? Sure. Okay. And his pants drop. Ha ha. That. <laughs> That's the first official one, but I can see them hearing in the mix here, like, "Oh, it's funny how slowly Nancy says ha ha ha." Well, there's another creepy uh, delivery. Uh, he like goes and uh, go, she goes into like a creepy whisper. She's like, "I'll see you again tomorrow, Simpson." <laughs> yeah, the this I don't think she knew how like ugly and stupid he would look, so yeah. she plays him a little smarter in this too. Yeah. A little Hannibal Lectory, I felt. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, in this, uh, but in this sequence, I think this defines him more as the physical presence the animators saw Nelson as than as maybe the writing did. I think, yeah. This, uh, I mean, especially the. I really like the the animation of Bart running up the staircase and then the background turns into Nelson and he plucks him up and eats him. The thing about Nelson eating Bart reminded me of uh, Simpsons Bible stories that we just did, which oh, yeah. it ends the same way, except Nelson explodes. You're right. Yeah. Yes. Bart learned from his dream, his previous <laughs> dreams of like, oh, I, I know that's his perfect weak point to throw in a fire into his mouth. So he explodes. Uh, then Bart is woken up by Millhouse, which this is like the most like normal for Millhouse scene in season one, I think, of Millhouse acting like Millhouse. Except he is being a bit of a wiener, uh, trying to get Bart to squeal. Uh, that, that fits for Millhouse, yeah. wouldn't he be? He's, yeah, he's a that. squealer. Uh, but that Mil like Millhouse should have been in more scenes in this. There's like two other scenes in this where a different kid is in there. I'm like, well, you had Millhouse before, just have Millhouse be there, but Back then, Milhouse was just one of Bart's many friends instead of his only friend. He was on the same level as Richard and Lewis and Wendell. Oh, Wendell. So many more stories to tell about all of them. <laughs> uh, can you believe that the nerdy guys who wrote for The Simpsons were most attracted to, uh, to writing The Dork? I, I'm, I'm shocked and appalled. Uh, so they head into the cafeteria. That's where everybody like welcomes Bart as Bart the bully killer. And I do love his line of like, I'm not saying I'm not a hero. I'm just saying I fear for my safety. <laughs> that's that's a good one. That's one of the smarter lines than you remember in this season. Like he's he's fine with everybody celebrating him. Other than that, he'll be beaten by Nelson. And then there's another very cartoony zip away when Nelson appears in the cafeteria and all the kids zip away from him and leave him alone. I really like the posing too on like Nelson over Bart head mm. as he as Bart's like it's a real funny story man like get this dude and, and Nelson's just like 315 after class is he drawn to be like much bigger than Bart in this episode um I think he's pretty or much he normally above okay Bart. I think so yeah. though in the posing of this Bart is seated on a cafeteria seat okay. and he's standing over him so I I think it makes the size disparity more than usual yeah, and I mean, there's a certain expressionistic thing to it. It's fine. And uh, then comes the next of the two dream sequences in this episode. And uh, the funnier of them, I think, the this funeral sequence, I, I just love every line in this here. Goodbye, little dude. You look so lifelike, man. Yes, the school nurse did a wonderful job reconstructing his little face after the fight. Goodbye, son. <laughs> I guess you were right. All that homework was a waste of your time. Thanks, Bart. We got the day off from school for this. Yeah, and I got the day off from work. Homer! But what's a day off from work when I'm never going to see my beloved son again? Oh, Bart! Oh, Bart! That's better, Homer. Be brave. Bye-bye, Bart. You're always my special little guy. 
Bart, here's that cupcake you wanted. I can't help but think if I had just given it to you in the first place, this whole horrible tragedy could have been avoided. I know you can't eat it now, so I'll just place it lovingly on your forehead. Hey, look, they got food at this thing. <laughs> Here's one for the road, dude. <gasps> The music is a little uh, again. There's the iffier music in season one, especially the the. Uh, it's just so down the middle of like, well, yeah, it's his funeral, so the soundtrack will be organs, and when Nelson enters the scene, it'll get more scary and ominous sounding. And we also have the X's on the eyes, which we saw uh-huh. in um, I think Omer's Odyssey, and yes. the the bear in uh, Burns's office had that. I think they were going for that as a conceit, like a mm. physical, sorry, a visual conceit for death, but they dropped that quickly. It was like this yeah. looks weird on their big bulbous eyes <laughs> they really do look weird yeah it's terrifying <laughs> i like i'm surprised i didn't have nightmares from this when i when i first watched it because I, I was watching it yesterday morning and i was like oh my oh that's just a really like displeasing image especially if you're like a young boy watching it who sees themselves as bart in the show like or identifies the most as bart it's the biggest character, like it, the uh, one of the most popular characters of all time. You just seem <laughs> dead like that. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, this uh, this episode in general feels very much in the way they thought at the start of the series of like Bart's the main character. Like mm. this is a very Barty episode of the show. It's the second one with Bart, and as the first word in the title, Bart the G. Mm. Yeah, it actually caused me to uh, uh, accidentally tell you the wrong episode to do at oh, first, no. Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's just my my phone auto filtered genius instead of general Bart the general <laughs> there was a, a good who's on first uh between me and eric when, because we both we got that when we were recording and so me and him were like wait are you on genius or are you on general which one's general <laughs> are you genius oh i'm even more embarrassed i was sending you those dms while <laughs> you were in the same room rename it bart the commander <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but this this dream sequence is a funny one to me because it it what it tells you about the character of Bart of how he imagines his funeral would be that he's like he, this is how he thinks Homer would treat him at his funeral he wouldn't really care there's he doesn't imagine a joke for Marge he just imagines that Marge would be sad that's the first use of special little guy too uh, you're right yeah you're right and it's funny because like a bullied kid would think like oh when I'm dead they'll all be sad they'll all mm. be crying for me but this is a more realistic take where it's like oh everyone's pretty indifferent. <laughs> About death. <laughs> I though I do like you imagine like and Lisa would definitely know, learn she should have just given me a cupcake instead yeah. of I like to the very David Silverman style drawing of Homer's like crying on the uh, on the casket looked very much like Silverman's way of doing it. It's very good it. animation. I like that. And uh, it's the funniest of all that Bart imagines that his murderer would be at his funeral <laughs> to punch, punch his corpse. Punch him more, yeah. The way the feet fly up on his corpse. Also that Bart doesn't know what a coroner is, so he just thinks like, well, yeah, the, the school nurse would doll up my eyes. Uh, and then also apparently that it's being done at the school too, his funeral is. And this, uh, the Skinner line of like, uh, if you're right, see, all that homework was a waste of time. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so Bart heads off to, uh, to his 315 beating. Uh, it's a very Looney Tunes, like Daffy Duck kind of moment of him hiding behind things like da 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 like chuck jonesy even i'd say running past those bizarre children class but, after class of yeah, ugly uh, ugly children, children. <laughs> uh but yes then bart gets his first beating which uh every drawing of bart's face during these punches here in this next clip is pretty great 
them up. Boy, you sure taught me a lesson. Whoo. Thanks, guys. I guess now all that's left is a hearty handshake. Right, guys? I'm gonna get you again tomorrow, Simpson. Is 315 good for you? Um, not really. Too bad. Joke added after the no. fact. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, that was a table read edition. Oh, uh, okay. In the table read script, Bart says, I hate that guy. Uh, but instead, uh, Graining crosses it out and is written in like, uh, that guy's tough to love. Maybe uh, it's an editing thing, but you know that I'll get you tomorrow, Simpson, after mm. class. <laughs> it sounds like, hello, Smithers, you're quite good at turning me on. <laughs> it sounds like it was taken from five different like reads of that line. Yeah. Well, his face also looks wild in that angle, too. Like, Nelson speaks at an angle I've never seen him do before. It's it's weird. And I notice occasionally they'll draw nostrils on his pig nose, Mm. and that's a no-no. He doesn't have them. His chin looks like the Hindenburg. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I I mean, Nelson's mouth chart is is wild in general because he has, he's like a more extreme Barney because he has like a rounder Barney head. Do you know that Barney secretly is dead? Uh, I I, I more believe that Eddie is Ralph's father. That one I believe. Well, and also like not only does he look like Barney, but like his, he has kind of burns his like way long, uh, overbite that it t- from some angles turns into like like a a hanging flap almost yeah and a lot of the season one characters also have like resting uh jutting out teeth like it's their yeah. standard stock pose just have three teeth jutting out of their face <laughs> i love it but no new character is designed like that funny that you say that because i hadn't noticed it before but yeah but barney and and nelson both look like bullfrogs in the middle of a mating call <laughs> <laughs> they're inflating uh, their sex yeah, yeah they're getting ready for it we've gotten to know the months family more over time but you know maybe this time they thought eh, what if he could be or my own uh, guess at it right now is that as we know barty uh gives his sperm a lot at the <laughs> sperm bank uh, so perhaps he is you know a, a donor father hmm. to uh to i Nelson can buy that with uh though you know it seems like mrs Munts gets around a bit or did uh did 12 years ago or whatever when nelson uh was born yeah i i think the reason nelson looks so weird and also the timing on will get you tomorrow simpson <laughs> i think the reason it's all off is because they bit off more than they could chew with the scene they wanted like we want one long shot of putting bart in the trash can threatening bart rolling the trash can and seeing it from the inside and then seeing it from the outside yeah and it pulls out of the can in the same shot yeah. to see the trash can rolling away down the hill and that's always a danger in animation if the longer a scene you do the harder it is to do retakes because you can't just be like you have to retake the entire scene. Usually you can't just be like, retake the first four seconds. Yeah, in there. before digital, you couldn't just, you know, cut out a small segment and redo that. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I, I can see that they were stuck with it. But the, the outro shot is so impressive and um, gutsy. Like, it's such a cool for television shot. I, I think it was worth it, even if you end up with a weird-ass looking Nelson for, like, uh, two seconds. Yeah, I don't know how this looks in the Disney Plus version with its cropping, but I do like how Bart's, like, legs sticking up sort of frame the shot in the mm. square the square frame of the television. I don't know how bad that looks when they crop it, but it's a really cool shot of him, like, it, in the trash can. I watched it on Disney Plus. It looked fine from what I'm remembering. It looked good. But the thing the thing is is that like it looks great, but then I'm completely befuddled by him saying tough to love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's completely a... <laughs> befuddled. He needs a famous Bart wisecrack. <laughs> yeah. I I guess tough to love is more of a wisecrack than just I hate him or I hate this guy. But, he should have been yeah. like, check please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have taken that. That would have yeah. like immediately been like what is he, his like mother or something? <laughs> it's very it's very much a check please style like mm-hmm. outro joke, like to close the scene. It feels like a graining last panel of from hell kind of joke too, which, which from uh, hell? <laughs> or uh, sorry, yes, yeah, from the Alan Moore book from hell. <laughs> Life in hell. Uh which on the actually on the scanned script too on the DVD, there's notes on there that they have of it, just him saying like hell ideas, blank, 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 blank. Mm. It's uh it's just him like brainstorming his comic strip while, while in, on the job yeah at fox <laughs> they're not paying you for that cartoon boy yeah bart bart should say like uh he's off my christmas card list there, there's another pitch for you yeah Bart returns home. I think it's a very Schwartzweldery touch that the trash can knows where Bart lives and ends <laughs> up right at his front door <laughs> It's like, more reliable than Otto. And uh, also a really fun drawing of Bart like tumbling out of the trash can too. And yeah, the kids, uh, March and Homer are more of their like short kind of selves who are just like, oh, Bart, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And they just let him walk through the room. Hey, boy. <laughs> yeah, what's that, boy? Uh, and uh, I do like Bart's line of like, let's just say I paid the inevitable price of helping out my sister. That's a fun line. But uh, that uh, I ping that one on like, that sounds like a Brooks kind of line. Yeah. yeah and like the realistic sad bart crying in the bathtub is like it's too much for me now yeah. to watch it's just oh, like yeah. i don't want to see bart this wounded like between this and bart the genius they're really into breaking bart down mm-hmm. emotionally and physically in this case well it's like the most alienating image of bart i think i've seen shutting himself off in the bathroom just to get a moment alone after being decimated like that. Like, even when he gets the quivery voice in other episodes, I don't think I'm ever feeling like, oh, he's all alone. Yeah, he's yeah. going off to cry, and uh, you really hear overlapping dialogue in the show, but while Homer's talking to him in an upcoming scene, you could just hear in the background, oh, oh, you feel yeah. so bad. You're right. I mean, you're supposed to feel bad for him, but with Bart as he is now, like this just crazy character, it's so interesting to see him as a real wounded kid. It's true. And even in like the movie or other episodes that want you to really feel for Bart uh, in in more recent years, I think it's harder to dissociate himself from the cartoon character you've seen do all these crazy things. But in season one, it's so early, you're like... If, oh bart wants to be alone to cry like i take this as a reality not like and, and and that they take the time to just do it yeah and saying literally dad i need help yeah. <laughs> the, the the thing with it is that it's never like i think back to the other moment where i really remember bart being in pain is when the neighbor where he has the crush on the neighbor girl and they but they have that fantasy to like kind of expel it and also give you 
a sense of it being like looking back and be like, it's not that bad. But like, this is totally something you remember, something hurt, something you wouldn't want anybody to go through. It's like if the scene where Bart imagines the girl ripping his heart out and saying you won't be needing this, they instead just stayed on Bart in his treehouse and he walked into a corner and just cried. (laughs) (laughs) And Homer climbed up, what's wrong, boy? This is why you need abstraction and cartooniness and dream sequences. And uh, and then Mo coming to knife some small boy. Yeah, uh, that's very strange. (laughs) What a weird episode. they play it so at first they play it of like oh bart is hurt by being beat up but he's just walking around like oh it sucks to be beaten up having this scene in the bathroom of just breaking down and crying and wanting to be alone this is where like the realness comes into it and uh, the only thing that kind of cuts through the treacle is bart crying in front of his dad and and homer saying let's try those eyes and just blasting him in the face with uh with a hairdryer great animation which they would later reuse on lisa and lisa's pony i did no research for this it was just on in the pizza pub i often work out of and i couldn't tear my eyes away from it (laughs) no the drawing of it is it's like a stedman drawing or a ralph stedman drawing uh kind of just all the lines on it it's one of my favorite drawings in the season i'm glad they they redid it for lisa in season three for for lisa's pony uh, also, though, on the commentary, Mac Raining really hates Bart's tears there. Yeah. Like he's Mac Raining on a commentary. He will definitely complain about tears. Uh, but yes, Homer and Marge have different views on how to help Bart. I had a run-in with a bully. A bully? Come on, Marge. I don't bug you when you're helping Lisa. Well, Bart, I hope you're going straight to the principal about this. I guess I could do that. What? And violate the code of the schoolyard? I'd rather Bart die. What on earth are you talking about, Homer? The code of the schoolyard, Marge. The rules that teach a boy to be a man. Let's see. Don't tattle. Always make fun of those different from you. Never say anything unless you're sure everyone feels exactly the same way you do. What else? Oh, Homer, that's ridiculous. Bart, instead of fighting, why don't you try a little understanding? What do you mean, Mom? Yeah, right. This ought to be good for a laugh. Shh. This bully friend of yours, is he a little on the chunky side? Yeah, he's pretty chunkified, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll bet he doesn't do well in his studies, either. No, he's pretty dumb. He's in all the same special classes I am. That's why he lashes out at the world. Oh, Marge. So tomorrow, instead of bickering with this boy, talk to him. You'll be surprised how far a little understanding will go. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Maharishi Gandhi. Let's go, boy. That one sounds almost too clever for Homer, for him to be yeah. like, well, I can't call her. She's a woman, so I'll call her a feminine version of Mahatma Gandhi. I think he's just too stupid to know the term Mahatma Gandhi, I, the name Mahatma Gandhi. I get, yeah, that's probably it. I It almost sounds too clever for Homer that he's like, oh, I know to call her a female version of Mahatma Gandhi. And right? I'm not sure if he could get through Mahatma. I feel like he'd be like, Mahuma, Mahumu, Mahuaho. He would probably say some food stuff that sounds like Mahatma and then uh, go, mmm. That's, that's, I think, if I can only think of one, that would have been a funnier thing I said there. Mahat pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Mahat pizza. Uh, okay, so Marge here 
I think this is definitely Schwarzwelder editorializing of like a woman is useless in the affairs of men kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Marge's plan wouldn't work, but I guess it's better than Homer's plan uh, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, both are useless. Like, I, I like, as we'll see when Ho- when Bart tries Homer's plan, a bully is probably better than you at fighting dirty. So if you're going to start fighting dirty, all you're doing is inviting him to treat you worse when he, you're, you're not going to win a fight with your bully very likely. Uh, so you're not uh, it's not the best move there but it is one of those like another of those anti-cliff huxtable moments of homer teaching bart how to (laughs) fight dirty kind of scene uh so in the original script actually marge gives that advice and then bart tries it oh and it doesn't work and he's beaten and then homer uh gives bart the uh the instruction on how to fight dirty and i feel like they would use it later because the scene the scene is very funny where bart is talking to nelson of like well i know you're like fat and stupid and that must be hard for you but i want to be your friend and then that just gets him beaten again though i also i kind of do agree with homer that empathizing with a bully is the thing your bully wants and they it's it i don't think it's going to lead you anywhere helpful i think yeah, this is going to prolong your problem. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, squealing is the way to go, honestly. Like, that's that's your best hope in it. Yeah, I, I think the real way to handle it is to just stuff it all down and let for, uh, wait for it to explode. So yeah, I, I think they just cut it for time to show the the Marge's thing doesn't work. They it, the joke is already there with Homer just like rolling his eyes at him the entire time. Yeah, I guess we don't need to see it in practice. Though also with uh, you know, I think Graining by the end of the episode has kind of a moral objection to the might makes right. Uh, uh, message of this so maybe he also was just like let's cut the scene that also shows that empathy doesn't work very good point don't include (laughs) that uh in general though homer is a really cool like just embodiment of the horrors of like twisted machismo and this you can see that he's never grown beyond the schoolyard psychology he was taught and we get this scene in uh, the rumpus room, although there's no real layout for the house yet. You, st- you still have these like weird like doors upon doors in oh, the background, yes, yeah. but like a very oddly decorated uh, room, which is it's very sparse. But there are some distracting things hanging up, like this crusty scroll on the wall. Oh yeah, which I took to read after looking at it for a while. Like oh, it's like a height chart for the kids. I think you're yeah. right. I think you're right. But yeah. it's just this weird like blank pink void they're kind of in with like a few <laughs> toys in the corner to be like oh no, you're in a room. You're in a room. Yeah, I think they just saw the script they're like oh homer takes bart to the punching bag and i'm like well where does he keep this punch to bag? the punching bag room boy <laughs> uh i mean this is kind of the sparse room where bart they punch a punching well it's not a punching bag but in one of the shorts it's the one of that like uh spring the held up by a spring kind of little punching bag head yeah they draw homer's face on but this this sequence of homer like ripping like he's strong jaws homer to rip the up this thing with his teeth i'm looking at that crusty now very off model they did not figure out you see crusty all over the place until what telltale head yeah, that's yeah. when he's finally on screen. Yeah, and when he's finally on model, like Bart even has a crusty lunchbox in the casket. You can barely see oh, it. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, I just I saw it, it this time. And what drives me nuts about these early background scenes are these very cartoony pictures of different family members in the scene. Just what is that for? Like, remember yeah. Lisa? She's his sister. And there's Marge. <laughs> that's his mom. Like, it's just there to remind you. I think in the shorts they were more necessary because mm. they were so like out of context and space between sketches. But here it's like, well, we just saw Lisa and Marge. I know who they are. 
Mm-hmm. They're going by the rules from the shorts. The rules in the shorts were for background design that there's photos of the family all in there, not with any rhyme or reason of just like, well, if a family member isn't in this scene, then they need to be in a photo in the background or or like in the Christmas special. Well, we're talking about Abe. We better have a picture of Grandpa behind Marge while she talks about him. It'd be funny if they even had that in like the Springfield Elementary classrooms. Yeah, there's just pictures of Homer and Marge. Uh, <laughs> it's like pictures of Kim Kim Jong Un or something. <laughs> we have to hang in every room. Uh, I'm interested in what the implication of when Homer says to Marge, like, "I don't help you with Lisa." Like that's so. It's like Homer is just fully hands off of like she's a girl. Talk to her with girl problems. I don't talk to her. It's uh, it shows uh, again a very dark relationship between. Bart Homer and Lisa in this episode. Is it Moaning Lisa where he's like, is this some sort of underwear thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, it's an underwear thing. Yeah. Well, and also it's where he's like, get on the Homer horsey. Like it shows that Homer has no ability to deal with any emotional issues she might have. The way he deals with Bart's emotional issues are to just tell him, like, do not cry. That's that's his instruction. And uh, cheat. Do, yeah. do the dirtiest tricks. No, I love that he's like, there's nothing wrong with hitting someone when their back is turned. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's time to kick some back. Yeah, that is. You know, you're right. That's an embellish. They embellish that more in uh, Bart. Uh, brother from another planet. Bro- oh, the think, same planet. The yeah, same brother planet. from the same planet. Yes, uh, yeah. And did we know what the family jewels were? I when didn't watching get that this? as a kid. No way. I didn't get it at all mm-hmm. when I was watching this as a kid. Testicles, everybody. <laughs> yes. I, I knew because I had a, 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 not the same uncle, but another uncle who really loved that. <laughs> thought that was the funniest saying out there. I think it should have spread around the uh, these family jewels as a way to mention your your uh, testicles. Yeah, that's one term that really just stayed in the past, family mm-hmm. jewels. Yeah, it never uh, went anywhere. I, although I remember it it was what I like. I think it was one of the first words I used for balls because uh, <laughs> of the uncle. Like, uh, like I just heard him one time say, oh, sat on the family jewels. And then <laughs> oh. I thought, okay. I feel like it was the cleanest way to say balls on TV. Like Johnny Carson couldn't be like, oh, the family jewels. And then people would laugh <laughs> at it knowing what it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it It's an easy... I mean, jewels sound so classy that yeah. it's, uh, it's it not makes like, it even funnier. It's not like balls, <laughs> balls, balls. <laughs> or sack nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I would pay quite a lot of money to hear Johnny Carson say nutsack. Though. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> we missed out. We've got we a friend who knows out. a lot about him. <laughs> oh, that, I bet he could find it. Yeah, if he ever <laughs> said it. Uh, um, uh, so yes, Bart tries to put into practice the uh, cheating plan. Doesn't work out at all. The mud gets in his face. Bart gets one punch off. And of course, Nelson is very tough and nothing goes. He just laughs it off and beats Bart all the worse. And speaking of first appearances here in this scene, first appearance of the lucky red hat. Oh, yeah. He'll cough that up a few times. Yeah. Though this has a white bill on it, which normally his lucky red hat is drawn as fully red. I do like that. Which, uh, of course, you know, red hats mean a different thing now walking (laughs) the streets. Oh, uh, yeah. Bart can't wear it anymore. It means something different. (laughs) And uh, we get a nice little, like, thought bubble of Homer, which Mm -hmm. Bart should know that just his memory. It can't give him any new information. I, I it feels like a very uh, Obi Wan reference there too. Like remember the family jewels. Yeah, son? like a real use the force moment. And I like how the dream, like the dream or thought bubble, Homer is horrified at what he's seeing. He's just yeah. like, ooh. <laughs> that was a better way to play the scene of Bark getting beaten again because it's 
Did it be depressing to see him get punched in the and repetitive to see him take all that punishment? So seeing Homer's reactions to it, I think is better. I I can't I don't know for sure, but I would bet that comes from a Silverman storyboard direction because it is a very Looney Tunes like off screen watching a horrible thing happen to a character going like ooh ee ah oh ah. The last the only thing he didn't do was like peer through his fingers, you know, <laughs> like close his eyes and peer through his fingers. <laughs> And uh, Bart's lucky recap, I love on one commentary, Mike Reese is defensive about how newer writers on The Simpsons, he once heard them making fun of it, like, oh, why don't we get Bart his lucky red cap? And he's just like, guys, I'm right here. Come on. I think the most that ever played into a plot was an episode they can't show anymore. Stop oh, Raving Dead. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was the most offensive thing in that episode. And I can't... Uh, all this Michael Jackson <laughs> stuff coming up. That episode was about red uh, baseball hats and uh, Michael Jackson, so <laughs> definitely can't show it. That's uh, what uh, Disney Plus said when uh, they put out the pl- press release. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, this has red hats in it. <laughs> That's all. All and nothing ever other problem about it. Uh, they got to change we- Mario now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, at least his red, his little white circle helps. At yeah, least. it's more but, of a maroon, uh, I would say. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so then we get introduced to uh, to Abe Simpsons, though. He had made two appearances in the Simpsons shorts, so this is not his first appearance either, just like Krusty, though... Uh, Krusty got more of a change from his shorts appearance into mm. the series. This Abe is pretty much how he looked in yeah. the shorts. They would change his like purple sweatery thing to a pink color. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Springfield Retirement Home would become Springfield Retirement Castle. And we don't see the sign, please don't tell anyone about the outside <laughs> world. Yeah, the the retirement castle turned into something much funnier by season two. One also big changes from the script too. So when Bart rolls up, which by the way I love the look on Lisa's face, like looking at the camera, yeah, it's It's great. Uh, But when Bart rolls up and Lisa makes the suggestion to meet Abe, they the joke before is Bart says like, "Oh, nobody could help me," and Lisa says, "You should ask Grandpa. Get the help from somebody old and wise." Bart says, well, he is old. But uh, <laughs> so it was in some rewrite that they bring in the uh, remember how hard we uh, how much he fought to get him in the home that without that rewrite, who knows how many like retirement home jokes they wouldn't have had with with mm. Abe, you know, I guess he was uh, independent in the shorts, <laughs> an independent senior. And uh, and also a big change for the this next clip that from the script was none of this crank letter stuff was in there. It like was entirely gone. An early trait for Grandpa they dropped, and I will say it's the third episode in a row where a character is writing a long letter. Mm. Bart the Genius has one, Homer's Odyssey has one, and this has one. You're right. I think they learned to stop doing this. And I think the only other time Grandpa would do this was in the front, mm. you know, to the sickos at Modern Bride magazine. <laughs> and that that scene was like a fourth of the length of this one, this writing scene. Yeah, they pretty... I, that scene was just a setup that Abe has a typewriter. Like That's, that's all true. Oh, my for. God, you're right. But I think after these came back and they were watching them, they're like, oh, watching a character write a letter for 45 seconds is not a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of many dropped season one runners, but this one was entirely born out of them being told by Fox that they couldn't say the word family jewels or shouldn't say the word family jewels. I do like how he says horny in this. Horny! <laughs> <laughs> and so when they push forward with it, they imagine like, oh, I bet we'll get angry letters from some old people hey what if abe did a whole angry letter thing so uh let's give that a listen real quick here 
Dear advertisers, I am disgusted with the way old people are depicted on television. We are not all vibrant, fun-loving sex maniacs. Many of us are bitter, resentful individuals <laughs> who remember the good old days when entertainment was bland and inoffensive. The following is a list of words I never want to hear on television again. Number one, bra. Number two, horny. Number three, family jewels. Hi, Grandpa. Oh! Bart, what brings you here? I need some advice, Grandpa. See, there's this bully at school who keeps beating me up. Well, let me tell you something, boy. If you don't stand up for yourself, bullies are going to be picking on you for the rest of your life. Simpson, give me a newspaper. <laughs> Why should I? I want to do the crossword puzzle. No, I want to do the crossword puzzle. I said give me that puzzle. No. Give me. No. Give me. No. And then they fight over it. Uh, and Jasper wins. Not ja named Jasper yet. Mm -hmm. But it is his first spoken word in the show. Yeah. He, he appeared in the background in Homer's Odyssey, but this is his first line. Pretty much how he'd always sound, I think, uh, old Jasper there. And also the so, most energy he's ever had. Well, that's the thing. is He sounds like he's full of piss and vinegar, vinegar in this. But usually he kind of, I always thought of him as like the actual soft and wise one of the <laughs> retirement castle. Yeah, and he doesn't quite have that in this scene to me. I think he's often written to be even more senile than Grandpa sometimes. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but also more prone to violence. Well, if it isn't the Tooth Fairy that's, pulling a gun on him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and, and prone to paddling. Yeah. He likes to paddling. This whole scene with Abe, it just hit me. I think he's writing a letter to Golden Girls, actually. All oh, this. yeah. Uh, Still every, on TV. Still every on TV. complaint he'd have could be directed at Golden Girls. But Yeah, uh, and Fox was getting their share of letters for being the Ribald Network. Uh, Married true. with Children <laughs> was the early uh, controversy magnet, of course, before The Simpsons. Rightly so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you've ever watched some of that show, that stuff is nuts. <laughs> it's uh, oh, I, And Dan's delivery of horny. Horny. Yeah. <laughs> Bruh. I think this is them also just realizing they love the way Dan does uh, Grandpa's voice, and it's just hilarious. <laughs> I just remembered that the um, the most offensive episode of Married with Children to that point that got controversy was the one in which uh, Peggy and uh, Kelly went out to buy a bra oh, for Kelly. Oh, yeah. So that was the offending episode that caused like the one uh, crank to become very, very popular based on her letter-writing campaign. Yeah, the queen of the screwballs. Yes. <laughs> she would later inspire that episode. Yeah, yeah. so that uh, so I think Bra was chosen because of that. I bet you're right. Yeah. I bet you're right. Uh, For shame. <laughs> I think the offensive phrase was over the shoulder boulder holder, which I find hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the old, like, that's funny with sounds. Uh, also, right before this, the uh, the very rare use of Julie Kavner as an incidental voice uh, mm. but as the, what was that, I have the people here named Grandpa. Third dank room on the left. It's funny to hear it described as dank dank. What a fun, fun line. Uh, so, yes, in the original scene, it's actually about Abe's senility. He doesn't recognize Bart at first in the oh, script. He's wow. like, who are you? He's like, I'm Bart, Homer's kid. Then Abe pulls up a photograph of them in childhood, and you see 
Homer's face on there. And Homer is drawn to look like Bart as a child. He has Bart's hairline, it even says in the script. So by cutting that, uh, we are safe to have a better looking old Homer than one that looks like Bart. I'm glad they made that change. But I mean, Homer with like brown hair, that's just perfect. I, lo- I love that he used to have uh, hair like that. And I think it makes it more connected to the um, the hair journey that uh, Dan Castellaneta himself went through in life. Yeah, too. I mean, at this point, he was uh, a real chrome dome, as mm. they would call him. Yet, uh, I felt bad for him. Once he saw all his hair left, he's like, voice acting it is then. <laughs> Sign me up. I'll play uh, any genie name. I'll never be cast in live action anything from here on. Well, I guess it's just fathers from now on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was on Ink. Uh, no one remembers Ink. I don't remember that. I just either. know he was on it. Okay. <laughs> uh, now when I see Dan Kessler and stuff, I'm like, boy, you must have just really liked this script or be friends with somebody on this because you have no monetary reason to act in this thing. Uh, but yes, Abe instead, though, is ready to help Bart, but he realizes he can't help. And so uh, this real turn of Abe taking Bart to a scary military antique store, I think it shows how much times have changed because like this is him radicalizing Bart around a right wing crank and it's not seen as weird to do that. My uh, my crazy right wing uncle would take me to a lot of these places as a kid. Like he got me into weird, cool sci fi stuff in Mad Magazine, but he was also trying to get me into guns and racism <laughs> and all that stuff. And uh, I remember being around these creeps all the time. Yeah, the you look back on your life and you're like, why did this guy own some Nazi stuff? That's weird, right? This target is shaped like a certain kind of person I'm seeing in this gun shop. I wonder why that is. I couldn't believe that was happening in like 1990. <laughs> In innocent time, uh, well, for white people who didn't want to know these things, like like us. There's a poster on the wall that says somebody talked and the planet's on fire. I could not figure that. I couldn't parse this for the life of me. Uh, some of these are in the script, but that one, I don't know what the deal is. The The funniest one in the script to me is like Hitler Teeth, 25 cents. And <laughs> there's a barely legible magazine that says Borderline Psychotic Week. Yeah, well, also in the script, too. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, that bit in the script is the closest thing to what I think of a Schwarzwelder, like, funny wall, a giant paragraph full of descriptions, you know, which uh, they did. The background people did their best at inserting their... Uh, you know, I think maybe this showed them like, oh, we could scenes like this really taught them of how many jokes they could stick in the corners of a background. And, uh, they pushed themselves harder to do that in season two because of these moments like this one. And I like too that Abe, this, they don't say Abe is a World War II vet like fully in this episode, but I think you're led to believe that he is a veteran of some foreign war in this one. For yeah, sure. I think that a lot of this is about the, the odd relationship between Vietnam vets and World War II vets, mm. which you would see play out a lot in media in the 90s. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think especially when Bart says you lose your arm in the war, Bart does mean Vietnam when yeah. he says the war. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, we meet Herman for the first time, much like Otto, another character they thought would be sticking around. <laughs> He's only used when they need someone sleazier than Mo. I think he would be seen again for the next time when he was operating the jeans ring out of the car hole. Uh, I think that was like his last big one. He's, I mean, he sells, he sells the Fez to Abe in old uh, money. He's that's the last time they were really palling around. Like yeah. Herman and Abe should be hanging out all the time. I have some more Herman and Abe scenes. And then, of course, in the Pulp Fiction parody. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, that's fitting for who Herman is, but and that shows you what they think of John Swartzwalder when they're like, oh, Herman's you. Like, we think you're, you're Herman. They were like, which character do we not need to use ever again? Herman. <laughs> it, when he says, he, he, when he's trying to sell them Nazi underwear, do you think that's like underwear with a swastika on it or actual underwear worn by the Nazis? I took it to mean, and now I read it as not uh, underpants with swastikas on it, but... I think it was meant to be undergarments worn by Nazi soldiers. Yeah. I just had this very weird image in my head of Abraham Simpson in his like uh, white shirt and sp- suspenders and having like these bright red swastika boxer <laughs> shorts. And it freaked me out through this whole episode. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I think it was like a reference to, uh, I mean, no one in my family fought in the, the big one, the great one, mm-hmm. the second great one. But I know, like, a lot of soldiers would just uh, bring home anything. Like, yeah, like helmets yeah. and pins and medals and stuff. They Whatever they could find on the battlefield. I mean, yeah, like, grandpas of our age, you'd think of them having, like, some gold swastika. And they're like, yeah, I saved this from the guy I murdered to remind me of the guy I killed or of liberating town X. But then you'd have guys like Herman who you're like, why do you own all this Nazi stuff? But yeah, I like that. I think Abe just befriends Herman because Abe still recalls his youth with all this military stuff. But the only person he knows who's interested in it is a right wing crank like Herman, who uh, in this scene is voiced to be H.W. Bush, too. Makes yep, total this sense. Is it. What's the password? Let me in, you idiot. <laughs> right, you are. So, Herman. Has the large type edition of this month's Soldier Fortune come in yet? Uh, not yet. Uh, can I interest you in some authentic Nazi underpants? No! Actually, we came over because I want you to meet my grandson, Bart. Huh. Hello, young American. Hello, sir. Uh, Mr. Herman? Yes? D- did you lose your arm in the war? My arm? Well, let me put it this way. Next time your teacher tells you to keep your arm inside the bus window, you do it. Yes, sir. I will. Bart's got a problem with a local young bully named Nelson. I thought you could help him with some kind of strategy. Strategy? Hmm. How many men do you have? None. You'll need more. And you'll need to train them hard. Now, let's see. (laughs) <laughs> it's weird to hear Bart be oddly deferential to this weird adult. Like, I feel That's like true. he he should yeah. say, like, cool amputee, man, or whatever. <laughs> like, how'd you lose your arm, man? You're right. Yeah, this is more reserved than Bart has played like, in pretty e- much any scene. Excuse me, sir. Uh, <laughs> I have a question. And, like, inter- you would think he'd be, like, interacting with more of the stuff around him. Like, why would you have this? Mm-hmm. Bart holding a gun or an unexploded grenade or something. <laughs> or holding something really inappropriate and going, cool. Yeah. But uh, this this is the more realistic way of playing a kid who is, like, terrified that his grandpa taking him to a weird place. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this side of grandpa who regularly reads Soldier of Fortune, that went away. That that, that doesn't fit in with just the c- cuddly old coot grandpa that we know. The large print edition. That's I mean, that's funny, but... Uh, Soldier of Fortune is a fucked up magazine. <laughs> uh, it, it, that's why they have the line there that it's one of those red flags that if you see that like on someone's coffee table, you're like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> He's going to hunt me for sport. I don't know. I think those like uh, Doomsday Prepper magazines are uh, much more scary. Well, uh, there's, oh, sure. They're scarier yeah, magazines. They've now. only gotten worse. That was like the most scary magazine in 1989. <laughs> 
And uh, and also a real Simpson-y callback there, you know, in Homer's Odyssey, Bart was warned to not put his arm outside the bus window because you'd lose your uh, hand or arm. And so that's the payoff there of Herman saying that's how it happened. I guess Herman was the original Joker because he was supposed to have a different story every time someone asked him about You're his arm. Right. So he's the original Joker. <laughs> All these Jokers, man. <laughs> uh, but yes, Bart then gets told the strategy he needs to do, which is build an army to attack this bully, uh, which this is also the moment uh, where the Patton music comes in and the Patton, the Patton score is played uh, as the references begin to it. So really the first direct parody of something like super specific in I the show? I think so. I, you know, in No Disgrace Like Home, Marge sings a song that Dean Martin sang and it's kind of staged like it would have been on a Dean Martin like television special, but it's not like a one-to-one. This was in Dean Martin, but in No Disgrace Like Home, they do one of us, one of us. Ah, that's from that episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, okay. That, but this is a much more prolonged one. Using the music. I mean, and then later we have that famous uh, Life Magazine uh, picture parody, which I'll talk more about later. Well, it's also, you could just imagine Schwartzwilder both loves the movie Patton and Mm -hmm. probably has a tattoo of Patton on his back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I've never seen Patton, but I think all you need to know is like a guy talks in front of a flag briefly, (laughs) and then that's all you really need to take from that movie. That's the main thing. I I actually, I've I've seen it. I love it. Uh, But it is... uh, uh, Coppola, I think, wrote it, and he was supposed to direct it, but then somebody else took it, but it still looks really good. Uh, everybody always takes the American flag thing, and I'm like, this one at least is doing something else with it. You're mm-hmm. right. I guess he never does that. There's no yeah. character that does that. There's there's no Bart speech. Actually, if you remember, there's that one commercial for The Simpsons that came a few years later where they literally draw The Simpsons into Fox movie mm-hmm. scenes, and one of them is Bart in front of the uh, the big flag. They also like draw him over... Luke in the uh, the trench run of the Star Wars, so hmm. they they eventually did do it, but. I mostly know Patton from uh, Mystery Science Theater references. Mm. Like, when you stick your hand into a pile of goo, <laughs> then you'll know. <laughs> I, I don't know about any scene in Patton after the uh, the opening speech by George it's C. Scott. It's a good one, and yeah. I love George C. Scott. But yeah, mm-hmm. very specific Patton parodies. This is where the episode loses me a bit, because um, after I grew up and was not obs- obsessed with Bart, the joke really is kids doing adult war things, and that mm-hmm. it doesn't really go beyond that. There's some fun commentaries about war that I like, and I wish there was more of. <laughs> They didn't need to try as hard back then because it was just so uh, much of a novelty to see this. But now it just like I feel like there could be so much more happening here. And this montage that's coming up is two minutes long. Way too long. Yeah. Proto Rugrats again, I'd say too. I mean, I feel like a lot of this is Swartz like this might be parts of Swartzwelder's actual diaries like, <laughs> that just came into this, like the Greeks and the Carthage- Carthagians or whatever the fuck. Yeah. The tension in this third act is that as Swartzwelder wrote it, it's just about Bart learning to militarize to defeat his bully. And then you have Matt Groening's reaction to reading that and adding in lines. Like I'll tell, I'll show you where lines were changed up to be more of a commentary on warfare. But I think in general, I think Groening wasn't happy with the tone of the third act. So that's why there's some more scenes that were like, 
um, hey, you know, these are some problems with war. War is not good. And we're on the cusp of, like, uh, Desert Storm. Oh, yeah. At this time in uh, history. Bart's going to be on a lot of t-shirts soon. Oh, for Saddam Hussein. If you're at our live show, you saw some of them. (laughs) I also love that when Herman says, like, it's right here on Elm Street. He just has a knife right there in his hand. Like, that should be scaring Bart that he yeah. has a knife so easily uh, handy. So, uh, also, this patent moment was uh, when the music starts coming in. It's another of those moments I've had watching Simpsons in the Disney years of re- realizing, like, yeah, the Simpsons used that song because Fox owned the movie and they wouldn't have to pay extra for the film rights. Thus, meaning this song is from a Disney movie now, and Patton is owned by Disney. Like it's just another to add to the list of films Disney owns now. Well, that's if you had. I mean, if you were using uh, Disney Plus more, you know, it's up on the main thing. That's <laughs> when you turn on it's Mandalorian, <laughs> then Patton, and then The Simpsons. And uh, I guess we don't need to say this, but uh, Patton Oswalt's named after Patton, yes, the general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very different in spirit from him, but uh, yeah, that's uh, his father had different plans for. His son there, uh, in the in the script, it's interesting. They they wanted to do like more obvious song choices. Not that Patton's like not an obvious song choice, but they had like you know war. What is it good for? And also like Doors songs from Apocalypse Now. Like that's written in the script of like we could try this. Like I'm kind of glad uh, you don't hear Patton music in a lot of war parodies and things. You you do hear just the same old war. What is it good for? Bullshit or Fortunate Son or one of a million of the obvious things. The Forrest Gump soundtrack. Yeah, all the Forrest Gump soundtrack. <laughs> That's a double disker. <laughs> that was how my friend, his favorite album for the longest time was just the Forrest Gump soundtrack, like just as a as the boomer playlist. That is grotesque. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like that with the Gross Point Blank soundtrack. Mm, I I think uh, Pulp Fiction was a soundtrack. I, no, sorry. Mallrats was the one I listened to the most. I listened to that over and over and over. I sure love the band Squirt Gun. <laughs> <laughs> who did the first, who did the opening song for Mallrats and then nothing, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. A skeleton in a suit and tie tells us what we ought to buy. Oh, man. These lyrics are blowing <laughs> my mind. <laughs> a bag of cocaine into your heart. Support your conscience that's a start when i listen to that song i'm like can they say this <laughs> uh, <laughs> i bought that cd for like 18 dollars in 1997 uh, what a ripoff uh the song by squirt gun has been redacted it will no longer be shown <laughs> <laughs> i think that even came with a poster too or like a fold out the magic uh, eye poster. poster right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, anyway, we, we apologize for this. <laughs> uh, this the Kevin Smithness. We have to. We got to stop. We could go on all day about Kevin Smith movies. Uh, so they then come back from break. Bart is in his treehouse. Uh, after telling all the kids to meet him at three o'clock or at fifteen hundred hours, and uh, Bart is late for it. I think this is the first scene in Bart's treehouse too. Even counting the shorts, I don't think they went in there. And I think part of the unspoken joke that they would just maybe uh, pave over later is that the treehouse is shitty. It's bad. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's just a poorly made treehouse. Because Homer's bad at built. You're right. Yeah. I didn't even get that. Yeah. That's the joke. Yeah, that's the. But joke. It, and it and it's also like a clown car. Like you can mm. fit as many people as possible. That's that true. Yeah. there's like thirty kids up there. But I think it's just like everything is in the background is just not drawn very well. So it's hard to communicate. Like, what does a poorly built structure True. look like in this season? Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a green shirted poster of Krusty behind him, too. And uh, and yes, they say Bart is late, which, again, is a joke 
I don't think they fully got through, but he said to me to three, he's beaten at three fifteen every day. So that's why he's late. He was that he comes out and coughs out his his hat to explain he was being beaten, but the time is part of the joke too. Uh, okay. It's a really nice understated joke that he comes in, coughs up his hat and hangs it up. That's but great. His hat is not there in the background after that. So I think mm. the joke is just lost because you don't see the hat anymore. I just I think I noticed it for the first time this time that he like just gingerly hangs his hat up and turns around to address everybody. <laughs> There should just be a cut scene. I, like, I don't even need to be in an episode. Maybe a dream sequence if you want. But just a, like a, a, a five-second clip or of Bart getting up one day and just before he does anything else, swallowing his hat. <laughs> <laughs> Practicing his hat-swallowing abilities. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty impressive that he can uh, it swallow it fully whole and spit it back And his out. body doesn't break it down in any way. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if it's a flat brim, that's just going to be trouble for Oh, God. Yeah, he needs to start curving that brim. Then Bart uh, learns the best way to get an army's loyalty is to lie to them and promise them victory. Very very smart on Bart's case. Uh, And then begins the training montage, including the show's first Kubrick montage or Kubrick reference as well. Though it's a real mix of things. It's like it's patent music with, uh, but then the training stuff from uh, Full Metal Jacket and then a couple shots from like the longest longest day. day, yeah. Yeah. The shot of like the helmet in the foreground and the kids marching in the back backgrounds from the longest day is the shot of bart like chewing on the like piece of hay and the reflection of the soldiers in his glasses is that from Patton too because i was looking for screenshots of Patton. Patton wore sunglasses mm-hmm. i have to assume but it also was like is this also cool hand luke in some ways hmm. you know actually maybe it's more cool i read it as a patent scene yeah. but again i haven't seen the film i'm pretty so, sure yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to watch it for this but this is a very busy week for us but i just have to assume uh and the patent content in this is so light oh yeah i mean i, I highly recommend you watch it it's, it is a very good movie but i think it is for, like it, I, he was always with a cigar, though, I feel. Mm, well, he can't put like a cigar in Bart's mouth. Oh, though, yeah. so yeah, that, that, that's probably what it is, actually. Okay, mm. yeah, so I guess they can't make Bart smoke. Not uh, yet. <laughs> He'll smoke in season two. Yeah, <laughs> in that episode with Nelson's Ha Ha, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nelson's Ha Ha. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just had it funny the way he said it. It's, uh, well, for the Full Metal Jacket one, it's not just the, you know, drill instructor and the running shot, which, you know, they did their best, but that's a very, it's a very complicated complicated shot in live action to compose to then get it done in season one simpsons animation like it's they're gonna falter in that there's a much better version of this in uh sweet seymour skinner's badass song yeah. where he's like correcting the troop for saying a filthy rhyme <laughs> yeah that's a that is a better scene i i do like though the them all climbing on the jungle gyms like up and down with the you know where it's a silhouette over orange that's a really good pull of a less used uh shot from full metal jacket that's that true reused. then uh, a fairly recent movie it was less than three years old it was june 87 it came out wow yeah i didn't even think of that yeah that must that's really weird that's like uh, The Simpsons now in a 2020 episode making fun of a 2017 movie or or recreating that. Like, it's that recent. Like, how I felt when I watched a, you know, I think like two or three years after The Departed came out, they did a a full parody episode of The Departed, The Departed. That's right, yeah. And that oh felt boy. too recent, but the, here they are doing it in season one with a, look, the de- in, in their, in my defense, The Departed also constantly plays the Dropkicks Murphys song from uh, the Departed as well. So th- there's reasons to like it less. <laughs> I just How don't... long after Get Out came out did they get uh, onto that one, I wonder? Oh, that seems like one they would jump right on. 
You know, it wasn't in this year's treehouse they didn't do a get out. That's got to be an upcoming one. They can't really ignore it. They did Stranger Things this season. They did that one. I think Us might be a safer parody for them than Get Out. Yeah, that's That's true. true. That's absolutely true. Yep, yeah. And there's more crazy, uh, insane logic in that movie than there is in uh, Get Out. That, yeah, I think uh, is safer. Let's go with a safer Safer, bet of us. There are so many more questions that need to be answered by us in the upcoming Us trilogy. (laughs) That was a real, you know, uh, that movie didn't make the same impact as Get Out, but I I really liked Us a lot as well. Uh, I can't believe Lupita Nyong'o didn't get nominated, though. Like, that was, when I saw the movie, I was like, this is an Oscar easy right here. I mean, it was a lot of burp talking, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, if you, this could, turn this whole podcast just into me yelling but uh, <laughs> i want to hear this i i love us i think it's a just as good as get out i i think it's a wilder and opener movie i think it's a movie that you can only make after you've made a hit movie mm. um it's kind of uh, uh, uh we, we've been on the the uh, blank check podcast that it's is it is a blank check movie if you oh know, yeah so. and i the fact that neongo didn't get it is ridiculous ridiculous because i forget who like i i I like renee zellweger and everything but that judy performance it's like so so just the boilerplate of every other musical artist that's being played by a very good actor i'm just like i i don't care Mm. well i mean it wouldn't be oscar nominations if they didn't if they didn't nominate somebody for doing an impression of a famous person yeah like freddie mercury oh it just no. kills me. Us is very fun, and it was like a fun ride. And I actually had fun like taking apart like the very weird reality of the movie that uh, just raises further questions, as Hermes would say. Hermes would say. <laughs> no, I uh, yeah, I, and the acting in it is just just so great. Winston Tim Heidecker, Duke, fu- yes, yeah. yeah. Tim Heidecker's really good. This is yeah. the Us cast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I yeah. This uh, again. I guess we could just cut it off by saying the Oscars made a mistake in nominating someone. That's crazy. Never happened. <laughs> Never. But yes, the training montage goes on a very long time, but over two minutes. There there is an interesting bit here with Bart and one of his recruits. What's the matter with you, soldier? It's my nerves, sir. I just can't stand the barking anymore. Your nerves? I won't have cowards in my army. Ow! Sorry, Bart. You can push them out of a plane. You can march them off a cliff. You can send them off to die on some godforsaken rock. But for some reason, you can't slap them. Now, apologize to that boy right now. Sorry, man. That's cool. In English class, I did the best. In English class, I did the best. Because I cheated on the test. Because I cheated on the test. Sound off. One, two. I can't hear you. Three, four. All right, there's your enemy. Now hit him. Yeah, so in the original script, Bart slaps the kid and Abe just tells him, you apologize. To the, he says, like, hey, you can't do that. And he slaps Bart back. Mm. Uh, so that entire run of about all the the irony of war that you can't slap your recruit, but you can make him die. And how the rules of war just make no sense. Yeah, that was a late addition that I'm going to also think <laughs> is probably graining. I think Matt Groening realized far too late they were making a pro-war episode. <laughs> <laughs> Starring their main character. Yeah. Like the yeah. one, like, hey, Bart, Bart says war is cool, guys. He says war is cool, man. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I think there is also a scene in Patton 
uh, where he slaps one of his. Soldiers. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. It, again, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but uh, I, that sounds. I, I have the image in my mind. You know, I think uh, comedy paradis out there, they should be using this patent soundtrack more often. Like the just the da 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 da. It's, it's uh, catchy, it's memorable. But... Uh, I don't know if we have the cultural knowledge of patent oh, anymore. Not at all. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> you, you hear those things, you no one thinks, oh, that old movie patent I love. We all. Th-. It was an Oscar winner, that movie, though, like a best picture. Yeah, 1970. I, I like Grandpa's line here and his later one with Herman, but it feels like just a long monologue where yes. it's it's not very clever. What it's saying is interesting and uh, makes a lot of sense, but it just feels like, okay, shine a spotlight on Grandpa to do his anti-war thing and we're done. <laughs> now, that is why it feels like a graining, like, big speech balloon really yeah. is what it feels like. Like, I feel like it should be couched in a story of something that happened to him in a war or mm. something like that, not just like, here are the things you can do and can't do. <laughs> The kid in there, just imagine that's Millhouse. When you hear the voice, that is Millhouse's voice, but it really is. It isn't Millhouse, but it should be. And speaking of funny drawings, I wish I'd put it in our good animation montage at the live show. The dog they run by is so crazy and fun looking i love he's just like this rectangle that just bounces up and down not in the uh the universe of that no, show no. <laughs> he's uh he's better than the police dog that we saw in uh notice grace like home the one eddie and lou bring into the bar like that's a wackier like uh, cartoony dog i i like this boxy dog he's, he's a fun boxy dog Herman is called in to help, and that's where he like brings his bayonet in and stabs it, which I think Bart's lesson really should have been to hire Herman to stab to, Nelson. To murder Nelson, to murder a boy. At least threaten to do it. Yeah, yeah. get a <laughs> get a motel room, bring him in, put the money on the bed, tell him where he is. <laughs> Very easy. Yeah. Both uh, Homer and Herman, they both maul an effigy of Nelson in this episode. Mm, yeah, it is pretty, it is a double joke there. Maybe only do one of those. This is a good exaggeration of that, though, where he's just mm. like gutting him. That he brought in his uh, probably original like 1917 bayonet to stab it. Uh, also, here's another funny one from the OG script when they are planning out their strategy of like, oh, Nelson is here. We're going to go attack him. Uh, you know, they say in it, oh, the reports are at he's he's at the video arcade which that is such an 80s way of saying arcade they just like the video arcade it's not uh noise land yet (laughs) uh but the original script line i love it and wish it was in there he says reports are in that nelson's at the liquor store buying candy oh that's great (laughs) that's great that's a great line i wish they'd kept it in there and we have not seen the quickie mart yet but in this little model of the town there's the quickie mart and they mentioned the quickie mart but it's spelled q-u-i-c-k instead of k-w-i-k so i I, didn't figure that out quite yet i wonder if it was yeah i guess they won't go into the quickie mart until telltale head so it might have just been either they changed their mind after they did this one or just a miscommunication communication to the background animators that it's not with uh, it's with a q instead of a k that's when abe has another uh rather lengthy speech in this scene here nelson's at the elm street video arcade intelligence indicates he shakes down kids for quarters at the arcade then he heads to the quickie mart for a cherry squishy and that's where we'll hit him when he leaves the quickie mart we start the saturation bombing we got the water balloons 200 rounds sir is it okay if they say happy birthday on the side (laughs) well i'd rather they say death from above but guess we're stuck okay our main force will be split into two groups one will circle around this way to cut off the enemy's retreat the other will drive in this way closing the trap 
<laughs> it's a classic pincers movement. It can't fail against a ten-year-old. <laughs> Nelson's at the arcade, General. Battle station. I feel so alive. You know, I thought I was too old. I thought my time had passed. I thought I'd never hear the screams of pain or see the look of terror in a young man's eyes. Thank heaven for children. <laughs> I always laugh when they cut to Herman nodding. They just need a shot of something else. <laughs> and it's a very weird insert. Yeah, yeah. just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Herman agrees. But yeah, we were uh, recently on the cusp of war, and old, man loved, old men rather love sending young men to die. Yeah, it's true. That's, it gets them off. It gets them horny, yeah. I think. It's, yeah. It is a good uh, opposite of how you expect a speech to be. Like, a maudlin show would have a speech by a World War II vet saying, like, I'm so glad today's kids grow up in a world of people and they don't need to know the pain of bloodshed like this is abe complaining that kids don't die anymore and soon they will yes so. well we had a good decade after yeah, this of no nice. war pretty nice or very little war just I mean, fun we, secret wars yeah, sure we were bombing people but like we didn't have to think about it <laughs> <laughs> no problems whatsoever mm-hmm. um, but uh also i do want to mention just elm street in general is such a i mean it's an obvious line like it's just like every place has an elm street but uh, they don't use it much any after this when i searched on frankie i searched on frankie act for any other use of the word elm street and it was just used as a descriptor by marge for the location of the sushi restaurant in uh in blowfish interesting okay yeah. so uh elm, elm street was a thing yeah she'd say the uh the new sushi restaurant that opened on elms on Elm Street. That's that's the line. But that was the only one that came up in my Frankie X search. I don't think anything else. Usually it just became Evergreen Terrace, which wasn't originally where the Simpsons lived on. It was just a, a street name said. But uh, over time, it just turned into the only street in, in Springfield worth mentioning. Uh, the balloon saying happy birthday. That's a good joke, too. <laughs> I do like that. Uh, so, yes, Nelson and his uh, weasels get ambushed. Hey, good squishies. What flavor did you get? Blue. Hey, you two birds. You're going to be sucking all your meals through straws if you don't shut your traps. Well, looky here. Little Bart Simpson. Nelson, I'm afraid I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. Ha! Oh, yeah? You in what army? This one. Artillery! And uh, the saturation is a joke. It's uh, the water saturating people. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the first reference to squishies, too, which uh, I like that the flavor is blue. That's a funny That's a funny line. Yeah, I like um, I grew up in the Midwest where there were no 7-Elevens. So mm-hmm. now whenever I go to one, I went to my, one, my first one when I was like in my 20s. Whenever I go to one and see Slurpees, I think of squishies because <laughs> that's what introduced me to the concept of the fun, like Slurpee squishy drink. Yeah, I didn't have. We had like ices. Ices we, we had, had in Ohio. Oh yeah, my town yeah, ices too. No, no slushies. Yeah. No, and I also uh, when Seven Elevens came to New York City, all of a sudden I was like a whole new world because. Uh, <laughs> I used to get that stuff at like gas stations. Oh, the sl- uh, yeah, yeah. I think Seven Eleven like upscaled it a little bit from what you expected from a gas station, though. Well, I'll tell you what. The regional one I've been always jealous of not having is Wawa. Oh I, yeah, I've never been to a Wawa. Sheets is good too. Sheets. Oh, I should check that out too. Yeah. If, if I'm ever in the east uh, East Coast, which I never am ever. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
Uh, one of these days we'll do a live show in like uh, Boston or something. New York City is the only place in the you know Northeast I've ever been to. It's uh, yeah, so it's it's still a magical world to me of like Wawas with with damn hoagies. <laughs> we have another fun Nazi reference too. Oh boy, with the yeah. with the weasels. <laughs> the weasels say the Nazi line of "We were just following orders," and the children immediately up. embrace them as uh, as they turn on Nelson. So in the original script, they don't say that line. They just say like, "Oh, we want to join you guys now." And they're like, oh, okay. And then the kid, and then the weasel say, isn't it good to be on the winning side? And then they start throwing uh, balloons mm. too. Is that like a direct quote from the Nuremberg trials? I'm sure it was yeah. said many times. It's what, uh, it was a stereotype of what Nazis said. And, and certainly no other army would say that in defense of anything. <laughs> Only Nazis. Yeah, true. No, no, no. But, but to put those words into the mouths of kids, I mean, all these Nazi reference in here, I, I think it feels like in 1990, we're like, oh yeah, they'll never be Nazis again. What an old silly thing to make fun of. Tell all the Hitler jokes you want. Mm -hmm. Nonstop. Also, Nelson's grunts of pain throughout here, they don't sound like the noises Nancy normally does for like Nelson pain. They're like, it's just all kind of over the place. Well, he's drowning. That's why. Oh, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) It's going into his lungs. I mean, also Nelson... I would think that Nelson, even as he's portrayed in this, the fifth time that water balloon hit him, he'd run towards the people throwing them and start punching them all in the face yeah. and beat the shit out of them. <laughs> but he just kind of accepts like, oh, by being hit by these water balloons, I am a mobile. I mean, that's how it works better for the plot. So that's why they do it. But I have a bit to say about the uh, the parody of the famous Life magazine photograph, if you want to get to that. Yeah, yeah. So they capture Nelson and it's time to celebrate, right? Yeah. Right. So uh, it's getting, it's very strange in which you can now reference uh, memes on TV shows, but I think you can no longer reference famous photographs or even paintings. Mm. I think those are all just like lost to time. But this is a very famous World War II photograph taken on uh, VJ Day, Victory Over Japan Day. Uh, and I have a great story that's kind of creepy. So the guy in the photo kissing the nurse, uh, it was uh, George Mendonca, who just died in February of last year at age 95. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. And the story from The Guardian is, there's been, there was many stories written about him when he died, but the story from The Guardian says, uh, Mendonca was on leave and had been on a date with another woman when he heard the war was over. His date... Rita Petri is seen in the background of the photo. So you can see his date in the background while he's kissing another woman. Uh, She said she didn't mind that he kissed another woman amid the celebration. In fact, she became his wife of seven decades. And the quote from her was, either I was dopey or something, but it didn't bother me, she told CBS, (laughs) adding that he would sometimes repeat the performance. Quote, it'll come up that he's the kissing sailor. So the kissing sailor has to think he has to kiss everybody. So he does. And they eventually found the woman he kissed. And basically, it's like, this guy just grabbed me and kissed me. I was on a break from my job. I didn't really like it. No, it's harassment. Yeah. And she was an older lady from the generation. I don't know if she had the language of modern feminism to work with, but it's seem like well you sexually assaulted that woman in the streets and several others but he's in hell now but thanks for saving our country (laughs) (laughs) listen you can't sexually Uh, assault five women in the street and then go to heaven i'm Uh, sorry there are standards i feel like that that sounds fair yeah that sounds fair no that's just i just have this image of him going into like mcdonald's and like ordering and then saying hey fellas if i give uh you know who i am i'm the guy from the bj uh, picture <laughs> how about if i give my uh, wife here a smooch how about can i get some free fries <laughs> if i do it in a photo for you guys in front of mcdonald's i'll get a happy meal right i mean did anyone try to make out with strangers 
when Osama bin Laden was killed? Uh, I, I'm sure somebody assaulted somebody on that day. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and 100%. I guess I guess the attitude was like, "Oh, you." you know? Yeah. Why well, 1940? What? Are you, yeah. Especially to a man in uniform. What are you gonna say other than like, "Oh, you"? It just is like it's a very famous photo, but just like, well, he just kind of grabbed the random ladies like mm. and uh, smooched her. Yeah, Lisa uh, has the correct response. Yeah, of I mean, also she could have reported him to like the authorities, but at the very least, a slap and like you knock it off. Like that's what uh, that nurse should have done back in the day. I think that has damaged the legacy of that photograph being a famous yeah. one, yes, and that it was yeah. one of many women he did that to that day, that yeah. time, yeah. while his girlfriend is in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. What a creep. Yeah, the the girlfriend who became wife in the background, that is the craziest revelation from yeah. that to me. I guess they tracked them down in like 1980 okay. when they were doing like a retrospective on the war. And that was the time to just brag and nobody wanted to hear the sad parts of it. Only only in the modern era were they like, hey, wait a minute. It was So you forced yourself on a woman, huh? Oh, yeah. That's weird. I mean, can't you just say he was a good kisser? <laughs> Come on, we're trying to write something here for yeah. a big day. We need a silver lining to the sexual assault. <laughs> I would think. I would think the Time Magazine editor just cut that out of uh, his original reporting. Like, oh, she said he didn't. Uh, she didn't accept that kiss, or he didn't know her and was a stranger. Eh, forget that. Let, let's not talk about that. Let's just keep the whole section of us dropping bombs in Hiroshima. Yeah, that's easy. That's, it's more pleasant. Uh, so uh, I have two more things to mention that were changed big from the script. One is right after the war's over, they have a scene that is totally unneeded where Abe says, well, I got to go. War's over now. Uh, you, you beat him. I have to go home. And then he says, if I'm late, they'll declare me dead and collect my pension. And they, so they cut that from the episode, but save it to use in Bart versus Thanksgiving in season oh, two. I thought I had heard it before. Yeah. I do like that joke. Yeah. Homer, when uh, Abe leaves Thanksgiving, he doesn't say pension. He says, collect my insurance. But he's like, I got to leave now. If I don't, the home will declare me dead and collect my insurance. So at least they saved a good line they cut, even, even this early in the show. And then the realization that Bart can't leave Nelson tied up forever, it takes five pages. Like, it's really long in the original script. A, a mistake, really. Yeah, things really zoom to an end here after this uh, mm. little tie-up game, like, <laughs> as Marge calls it. <laughs> Yeah, like in the original script, Bart's like, "Oh, you can't, you can't just leave me tied up forever." Oh yeah, and then like time cut, four hours pass. Time cut, uh, it's nighttime now. Time cut. They even have in the script Mr. and Mrs. Munts commenting on where's our kid. Like, so and the wagon is just full of piss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, I think they realize like, let's just cut to the chase and and realize we need the treaty. The treaty is still there in the original script, but they cut to it way faster. As uh, Bart makes a deal with Nelson. I guess you learned your lesson, so now I'll untie you. The second you untie me, I'm going to beat you to death, man. Well, if that's going to be your attitude, I'm not going to untie you. Ha! You're going to have to sometime. Uh-oh. He's right. Don't you worry. I was ready for this little eventuality. Armistice Treaty Article 4. Nelson is never again to raise his fists in anger. 
Article 5, Nelson recognizes Bart's right to exist. <laughs> Article 6, although Nelson shall have no official power, he shall remain a figurehead of menace in the neighborhood. Wow, sounds good to me. Okay, I'll sign. What about you, boy? All right, I'll sign. Are you boys through playing war? Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Simpson. Good. Then here's some cupcakes. Oh, boy. Mm, cupcakes. Mm. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Lemonade, thanks. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. I did remind you of that. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, right yeah. to exist thing. Obviously, in Israel, um, you know, mm. pull uh, very complicated. A lot of baggage there. Can't go into it now. Yeah, we've we've already gone two hours. Yeah, let's, let's talk yeah. about Israel's history for another two. <laughs> but another just noisy TV blaring a cowboy show in the background. Mm. Like I think like the third instance of this. Uh, yeah, like. I think this also wasn't in the original script, but in the posing there where Homer says, what about you, boy? I feel like there's an implicit threat with Homer there. I'm just like, huh, you going to do it? You going to do it? That's why Nelson finally signs that Homer backs up a threat for him. It's a fun reveal of just Nelson on the couch watching TV with Homer and Lisa. <laughs> but still tied up. Yeah, still tied up. <laughs> uh, and also in the original script, the thing that gets him to agree isn't Homer saying that, but being offered $7 and uh, they call it like uh, re- reparations, not bribery. Mm. In, uh, in, and that's the joke in there. Yeah, I like that Nelson's like, yes, Mrs. Simpson. And when the cupcakes come back in, which that the original end of the script is that they eat cupcakes and then the music plays. So that's why I wanted this clip to end there too. So you can see like, this was the original ending of the episode. Okay. And bringing back the cupcakes is a real bookend of like, now everybody gets to have their cupcakes and they're all happy. This non Alf Clausen composer likes to end the show reminding you're watching the Simpsons. Mm, yeah. Cause like his episodes end with like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense as a, uh, just as a branding thing. N- non subtle I think Alf Clausen would do similar things, but not as just like brassy and in your face. Yeah, I mean, it's early on too. I mean, it's super. I mean, this early on, I feel like you have to do that. Yeah, yeah. I I welcome the Alf Clausen years with his more subtle choices in, in uh, and unexpected places he went to. But uh, yeah, no, no offense to Richard Gibbs. This has become like this. Uh, this revisiting of season one has really been trashing Richard Gibbs a lot on We're my part. But. Going easier on Classic Chupo, harder on Gibbs. <laughs> Uh, but that was not to be the real ending as this is the best part of the script that's on the DVD is that Matt Groening in the writer's room at the table read on the back of his page, just in cursive wrote this entire last scene of the episode pretty much verbatim as Bart says it in the episode. Yeah. I was surprised. I was actually scanning through it too. And I saw that and I was like, this is just what he says. Yeah. Yeah. He had the executive power to make it happen, to add this addendum to the show, which shortened the title, probably cost more money to give them more animation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, I think it was probably a retake anime or a late edition for sure. It's one I welcome. I mean, yes. Is it a little like, you know, PSA or, you know, uh, the more, you know, kind of moment that is, uh, not as smart as the Simpsons would be sure but I think it's necessary with especially if you come from like the peacenik uh, hippie ethical background of graining he couldn't imagine the show going out without Bart saying that on the commentary 11 years later they're laughing at how sweaty and contradictory this is (laughs) like well that takes care of that yeah Mm -hmm. that's true it's like well then you're right in that case it's like 
Well, I mean, then don't do an entire episode of Grandizing War to just stick on 30 seconds of saying it's Actually, not it's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. you have to imagine that Schwarzwilder's like, first idea was to just put like the entirety of Red Dawn at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should be celebrating our Mujahideen fighters at the end of the episode. Nelson dies in his draft, his original draft. <laughs> Bart just shoots him in the face at the end of the episode. <laughs> Ooh, uh, that'll get some letters. Uh, but uh yeah this uh well actually here let's just play the the moral of the story ladies and gentlemen boys and girls contrary to what you've just seen war is neither glamorous nor fun there are no winners only losers there are no good wars with the following exceptions the american revolution world war ii and the star wars trilogy if you'd like to learn more about war there's lots of books in your local library many of them with cool gory pictures well good night everybody peace man mm-hmm. yes. it's a little undercut by patent music coming back in when that's says true <laughs> so, oh a simpler time when there was only a star wars trilogy oh yeah yep oh. uh <laughs> that hurt us more than thinking about real life wars. Yeah. Just thinking about new Star Wars films. You can see what our priorities are. Uh, uh-huh. I'm okay. So yes, I do like the energy of Bart saying, you know, there are no good wars in peace, man. Like I, I like that messaging on a TV show. Oppositely, I think it is really clunky to have Bart just earnestly say, "Go to your local library and read more books about yeah. it." Like, I guess the cool, gory pictures is a nice subversion mm-hmm. on that, but it's still like hey like go out and do research to find out why war is bad well it's basically what he-man would say to you at the end of something too or but he wouldn't even have an anti-war message that light like because bart can't even be just fully anti-war he has to say the accepted caveat that most americans then would have agreed to like well no there were at least two good wars world war ii and the american revolution there aren't only losers in war i think some civilians would disagree with what he said Mm, i know in 1990 yeah not so much I'm sure in 1990, some people, though, were still like, Vietnam was a good war. It was just this this bullshit kid on TV saying it was wrong. Turn off this yellow filth. <laughs> yeah, they... Oh, also, the last thing I'll say is that Silverman on the commentary says they, they thought they might just reuse that for a bunch of scenes of just, like, Bart doing commercials and just saying whatever they need him to say in reusing those shots, which I think they did do in a few early commercials, but it didn't repeat for very long. Just, I mean, it's an easy setup of Bart dangling his feet, like Bart sitting in a library (laughs) and mouth moving. That could work for a million commercials for Nancy Cartwright to say like, watch Drexel's class next or whatever. I see it as more of a Herman's head vehicle. (laughs) Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, Chris, thanks for sticking with us for so long. Can you please let us know your final thoughts on this one? Uh, I really like this one, uh, especially because I've just been going through the first season since getting Disney Plus. I uh, not to give them uh, too much press here, uh, but uh, I have been going through it, and this one is one that sticks with me because there are a lot of big images in it, like uh, Bart alone in the bathroom, like the uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket uh, reference with them going over things. Like it, it was the, one of the first ones, and the noise, the 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 patent score. I thought that was them at first when I was younger, mm-hmm. and all those little things was like it was the first one that really locked in for me i think 
still I still love it. This is a fun episode that also has the animation more together than in the previous four. I think this is the second one Silverman directed, so it must be like another round of animation deliveries so he can learn from some of the stuff that's starting to come in. You can tell uh, he's getting better at his craft. And the backgrounds, there's not as many gradients or anything, and the the, char- the background characters are more together. So craft-wise, this show is is more together, too, than the uh, the previous four. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, uh, let us know all about We Hate Movies. You've got a lot mm-hmm. of podcasts. You've got a great Patreon with even more stuff on there. Uh, please let us know. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we do a weekly show that you can uh, get for free on iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcasts. And then we have uh, patreon.com slash we hate movies. We have a bunch of stuff up there. We have a Star Trek show. We got uh, Animation Damnation, an animation show we do. Uh, and we've been doing uh, We Love Movies now. They're uh, monthly and we're finally doing movies we like, which is a nice turn. <laughs> you deserve uh, it. Mm-hmm, you yeah, earned thank it. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you're at Cabin on Twitter, right? At Crabbin. Oh, Crabbin. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, Which is an old uh, uh, thing I was called in college for many years. Because right? <laughs> I'm crabby. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chris. You weren't crabby on here. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me again, guys. Oh, yeah. So thanks so much to Chris Cabin for joining us today. Please check out We Hate Movies. We're big fans. Of course, just look for We Hate Movies in your podcast machine or just look up uh, patreon.com slash We Hate Movies. Lots of extra stuff there. And we have a Patreon, too, mm-hmm. that you probably know about. But if you don't and you want to support our show and get all kinds of extra stuff, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And if you sign up at the $5 level, you get every episode one week ahead of time and ad-free and also access to so many bonus podcasts. Over 100 bonus podcasts, including all of our miniseries, the most recent of which was Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1. Ten new episodes of Talking Futurama, which is just like Talking Simpsons but about Futurama. (laughs) And we have two new miniseries coming up in 2020 and all kinds of other stuff only on the Patreon that you can only get if you sign up at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And Henry, what is happening at the $10 level? Extra long podcast every month just for our $10 patrons. Oh yeah, for our premium folks out there, they get to hear an extra extra long podcast once a month that's our what a cartoon movie podcast it's like our sister podcast what a cartoon but about a different animated feature film once a month where we talk for often over four hours about a different animated movie back in january we did the animatrix the anime anthology film about the classic 90s film franchise plus before that we've done movies like iron giant and toy story and a ton of others that you can only hear in full if you sign up at the ten dollar level over 50 hours of podcasts available to you ten dollars a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts, a classic gaming podcast. Check us out every week at Retronauts.com or anywhere you find your podcast. Henry, how about you? Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Anytime a new thing goes live on the podcast, I'm sure to tweet about it. Or when we do live shows like the one we just did in January, you'll learn about it there too. As well, if you're following people on Twitter, follow at TalkSimpsonsPod because that is the official Twitter account of this podcast where we share tons of cool information you'll only know if you are a follower. So please follow it at TalkSimpsonsPod on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for Moaning Lisa, and we'll see you then.
own mistake. This is how it happened, man. Listen up. You may get a kick out of it. My sister was baking cupcakes I'll this morning and... I'll see you at the flagpole at 3.15. And you better be prompt. Here's four of the meetings scheduled this afternoon.